Turkey hunting is one of my favorite things. And one of the key tools I use for turkey hunting is the Onyx Hunt Map. I use it incessantly when I'm hunting turkeys. Being able to find a new piece of public or gaining permission on private opens up opportunities for gobblers. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you this spring. Use the code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt. You'll find more birds this season. I'm telling you, I rely on Onyx Hunt when I'm hunting turkeys. It is an invaluable turkey hunting tool. Hey, I'm excited to share our newest sponsor here on the Meat Eater Podcast, which is Poncho Outdoors. The reason I'm excited is I buy their shirts anyways. Dude, they make some good shirts. And they even have an option where if you're like a skinny dude, you can click like the skinny dude thing. It's great. Based in Austin, Texas, Poncho is committed to crafting the world's best outdoor shirts for men. Poncho is only sold on their own website. So head over to ponchooutdoors.com, use code MEATEATER, for a free hat or t-shirt with any purchase of a shirt. Poncho offers free shipping and returns, so you can try them out risk-free. If you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states. Or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. The Meat Eater Podcast is brought to you by First Light. Whether you're checking trail cams, hanging deer stands, or scouting for elk, First Light has performance apparel to support every hunter in every environment. Check it out at firstlight.com. F-I-R-S-T-L-I-T-E.com. All right, we got more women in here than, than normal. Yeah. By a long... Normally, it's just Corinne. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody knows how lame that is. <laughs> Today, we're joined by, probably for the millionth time, Carmen Van Bianchi. How many times have you been on the show? Maybe this is number five. Oh, okay. She's our resident wildlife biologist. We've <laughs> tracked Carmen all through her career. Now, mm-hmm. she's, a, she's a, a, a lynx researcher. From Home Range, you guys founded Home Range. Wildlife Research, yep. Yep. We've participated in all kinds of projects, um, trying to raise awareness for your project. Mm -hmm. We did that thing trying to raise up money for snowmobiles. Yep. And now you're back to give us a report. Yep. On what's going on. Yep. Now, we've been doing a little trapping, but different. Yeah. You got some beavers? Today, we caught a raccoon, the likes of which man has never seen. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what he's doing out in that cold weather, too. I don't know. He's just, yeah, typically he'd be in a den tree somewhere, but he was out and about last night. There was a spot by, there's a spot by this rancher's place and there's a hole in the fence where coyotes are coming through and that raccoon coming through there. Uh, Hang tight a minute, guys. I'm going to tell you something before I introduce all of our other women. Uh, This rancher's telling us how, so we get down there by the river by his place, down the river bottom, and there's dead sheep carcasses you can't even tell what's going on it's just dead sheep get to talking to him and 
<clears throat> he had they had a, in the fall they had a black bear and it's kind of an unusual spot for black bear. They had a black bear come in, killed, <coughs> killed. He he kept saying the bear killed five bucks. Okay, I was like, how do you know how many bucks the bear? I thought he meant like deer. <laughs> then I realized he's talking about buck sheep. These things are fifteen hundred bucks a piece. Killed five buck sheep, killed a goat, killed a goose. He calls fish and game. They're like, if you catch the bear, go ahead and shoot it. So he tells us if we see the bear to shoot it. And you can see his track in the ice. Like he'd been walking on the uh, a slough since it froze up. Then he says there's this dude he knows that looks for, that tries to build stuff out of driftwood. And that guy's sniffing around this big driftwood pile down on the bank. And he finds the bear hiding in the driftwood pile the other day. So he tells me and Seth to go in there and look in that driftwood pile. And we haven't gone and looked yet. And he said, he said, he told me, I'm scared to go look in there. But if you guys go look in there, then I'll call Fish and Game and you can get the bear. And I'm like, I think I'm going to have to personally speak with Fish and Game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to have a personal conversation with Fish and Game before I follow through with this plan. <laughs> looking through this. But we looked at that log jam today, talked about having to look down in there. Yeah. And? We haven't gone down there and looked yet. Oh. We were 100 yards from but it. But when you say hidden in there, you mean like denned, denned up. up in there. Yeah. It's denned up in that log jam. He's sleeping. I know. Go and ahead. how do you know what bears what? That's what I'm saying. It's like, we're not going to get into that vigilante justice, but I am going to go look into that log jam. I can't believe Unarmed. you get curious enough to go look in there. I'm yeah. going to well, look. I'm looking tomorrow. We wouldn't be here right now if we got to looking in there. <laughs> yeah, we were already half <laughs> we're, hour late. Yeah, if we were looking in there, you might not ever heard from us again. <laughs> we are crunched for time. I couldn't decide if I was going to put a thermal in there, but I don't think that's going to work. I'm just going to shine a light in there and see if he's in there. Because I guess it scared the hell out of this driftwood guy. Well, I can imagine, Because <laughs> it, it, was, it was awake in there. Yeah, so I'm going to see. If he is, well, it's kind of a weird little spot. I don't know how much I believe it. Could all be lit myth. Seth's here. Dr. Randall's here. Um, Jen Lewis from FHF is here. And Jen Lewis's daughter, Brooklyn Stevens, is here, and Brody Henderson. Now, Brooklyn's here for a very special reason, because you have recently got yourself into the skull cleaning business. Yep. How, ma how many skulls did you clean this year? Probably around 20 or 30. Are you serious? You did that many? Yeah. Nice. Yep. Huh. You got interested in tax? How, how old are you, first off? 17. 17. What got you interested in taxidermy? Oh, uh, when I saw my first deer, I walked into the taxidermy shop and it just felt like home. I like creating or like saving other people's memories, so uh -huh. I thought it'd be fun. Oh, wow. Uh, and what'd you have done with your first deer? Just a European mount. Oh, and then you got it back and thought I could do that better? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> what are, you're, you're, how are you cleaning them? Uh, I just boil them and then bleach them. Okay. Yep. And then, but you did it, but you didn't, oh, but here's why it was such a careful job you did, because the sinuses are still good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I usually wind up taking a drill bit and just, like, I get, <laughs> yeah, I get a little burned out on the whole thing, and <laughs> yeah. eventually I wind up running a drill up in there to get all that garbage <laughs> out of there. Can I, can I see that again? The job you did? So, Brooklyn's holding a buck that, that I brought to her this year. Old warrior. A little, a little <laughs> warrior. He broke his beam off. So how do you, how'd you get that so clean boiling it? What'd it you just, do to eventually get it out of there? 
I sit with it for hours and hours and I just pick on it with dental picks. That's what you're using? Yep. Do you do any pressure washing? Uh, every now and then, yeah. I try and pick off all the meat though. Really? It looks nicer, yep. What grade are you in? Uh, senior in high school. You're a senior in high school? What yeah. are you going to do when you finish high school? Taxidermy. You want to, to go into taxidermy? Yep. How much are you charging for a skull like that? Uh, 120 for deer and 160 for elk. Looks amazing. Thank you. That's a good it price. Yeah. See, good. you're going to think I'm lying if I told you I've never seen a, um, uh, like a boiled skull turn out like that. Really? Never. Brody? It's good. It's great. <laughs> I'm bringing Brody <laughs> I think, in. I'm a little hurt. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> I'm bringing Brody in this because Brody boils up some skulls, but that's work art, Brody. Yeah, it's it's really white. Looks great. Thank you. Um. Yeah, I did, did like didn't 16 get the... this year, and that, yeah. I, I I went four or five past my limit of patience. <laughs> no. Bro, you're you, not an aspiring skull cleaner. No. You're not an aspiring taxidermist. Do you pressure wash yours? I, I have, man, but I've seen that blow them apart. Yeah. Especially, like, after they've been, like, if you really got to boil them for a while. So you pick all the meat, too. Yeah, but, I mean, like, like she was saying, it's really just the nooks and crannies. You do it the right way, it's... I have currently two deer skulls sitting in my garage. One, one that my wife killed, one that I killed, and it's like gotten to the point where all the shit is like dried on there. Yeah, mm-hmm. it'll never look right. Yeah, <laughs> Brooklyn, Brooklyn, are people bringing you these with the hide on them, or are they skinning them? That's what I Both. was going to ask. Do, do you, you charge- think? Do you think the ones? Do you think they turn out better when they're unskinned or they've been skinned? Um, it depends. The ones that are unskinned. Do come out a little bit better. I think they clean up better. But the ones yeah. that are skinned, I can get to yeah. look good too. She just did a big ram, a big deadhead ram. Are you serious? Yeah. That's cool. from where? I don't know. The lady bought it from the FWP auction. From the, oh, she bought it at the auction? Yep. Yeah. Huh. And brought it to you? Yeah. What condition was it in? Turkey. The hide. <laughs> it was really not, all dried out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so you'll mess around with dried out stuff. That's not oh, ideal. Yeah. Do you charge yeah. more if they don't skin it? You're in luck, so. I might no, be giving you some business. No, because it takes no time to skin something, so. See, I always think I'm doing people a favor when I skin it and pluck the eyes out. It's nice, okay. but I don't mind skinning. <laughs> so they'll bring you a hair on head, lower jaw there, eyes there, all desiccated, dried yeah. out, and you charge them the same amount of money. Yeah. Do you have a page set up for your business? No, I just have Instagram and the Gmail. Yeah. Um, how do people find you to bring you some business? So, so folks that are uh, listening, um, Jen Lewis and Paul Lewis. Paul Lewis has been on the podcast a number of times from FHF, and this is their youngster. So, wh- how how do people find your business? Either on Instagram or word of mouth. No, no, but how? Like, what do they what do they type up? Uh, four hundred six Boneworks. Four hundred six Boneworks. You yeah. ever think about getting a beetle room? No, I don't want to mess with beetles. <laughs> that's that's a smelly business Ooh, right there. That's yeah. what I want to get into. You'd have to get your own house probably if you're going to get into the beetle business because, <laughs> yeah. man, that yeah. is a smelly business. I looked yeah. into it. You can order those beetles from Amazon. Yeah, I looked yeah. into yeah. that. You can find them on the roadside. I didn't know that Amazon sold them, but oh, yeah. you can find them on the roadside. Yeah. So you're going to stay with Boylan. Yeah. But you're going to go to taxidermy school. Uh, I don't know. I like YouTube. I oh, you like doing it that way? Okay. Yeah. YouTube University. Yeah. Are you going to get into like shoulder mounts? Or? Yeah. Nice. Yep. So you're going... You're going all in. Yeah. So 406 Boneworks. Yep. 
and you'll clean people's skulls and do that immaculate. Did you did you do that nice job because you knew you were going to use it as a piece of sales? And no. then normally you just brutalize them? <laughs> no. That's how they all turn out. They all turn out that nice. Yep. All right. It's impressive. That is impressive. 120 bucks. Yep. That's a deal. Have you done any elk? Yeah. What do you get for an elk? 160 Only $40 more. It's three yeah. times as big. Mm, sort of. I don't like to think so, though. How did you come up with your pricing strategy? Just what propane costs and the amount of bleach and then my time. You how much? Are you making any money after all that? A little bit. Did you ever calculate <laughs> what you make per hour? No. Do you want to or do you not even want to know? I don't really want to know. <laughs> That's a pretty good skull. Now, listen, I had a guy, you know what I paid this year? I hesitate to tell you. You know what I paid this year to get a moose cleaned? What's that? Take a guess. Probably 225 Higher. That would have been nice. 325 Higher. 425 Higher. Oh, my God. Nine hundred and seventy-five lower. <laughs> Listen, I had someone do a moose, moose skull this year, six hundred. <laughs> Kylie dropped it off, and I come back, and there's an invoice for six hundred bucks on my desk. I'm like, I think they. Well, I dropped it off. Oh, you dropped it off. Yeah, I talked to your text and everybody. I talked to your text and everybody. Mine said, "Dude, you're third the way to his shoulder mount." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I saw the I saw the invoice when I dropped it off because he gave it to me, and I was like. Ugh. Never seen anything like that. That was a big moose. Yeah, though. I was like, I'm, I'm assuming Steve moose, but knows. not cleaning the antlers. <laughs> I think I saw you that day. Yeah. Because you were at the shop and he saw He had a, a shell shocked look about him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just assumed you, like my you knew what it was going to cost. No. How much would you have done that for? The problem with those is the way they're shaped. You can't dip yeah. them in the tank real good. Yeah. It's a Probably whole different process. 300. You'd have done it for three. I could have got two done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's it called again? 406 Boneworks? Yep. 406 Boneworks to get your skulls clean. You going to do it next year too? Yep. All right. Thanks for coming on and plugging the biz. Yeah. You're supposed to be in school right now. I am. You're going to hang tight though? Yeah. All right. Um, she's a lynx researcher. Maybe you can fill out when, you, when your taxidermy is slow, you can go chase lynx on a snowmobile for these guys. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. All yep. Right. Uh. Oh, you know what we were talking about today? Me and Seth had to drive on icy roads, and I was remembering this story. I was telling them is uh, we're talking about when it's real icy and you go to pass somebody, how you're endangering everybody. I remember when I was a kid. I remember this so vividly when I was a kid. We're driving down the road, and this dude comes by in one of those wood paneled station wagons with a cowboy hat on, and kind of like blows past us in the way that made my dad irate, you know. And then we come around a few bends, and there's this dude's car wrecked, and he's standing out in the snow staring at his wrecked car. And Seth was saying he had a guy blow past him and later found him up front and crashed. We did the same thing going up to uh, Snowball. These kids in the car behind us passed, and I was just gripping the steering wheel and clenching my teeth for five minutes after that. We get up to the top, and they're in the ditch. <laughs> I, have, I have two two separate occasions while I was heading to a hunting spot one this year and one a couple years ago, I've had Ryan Callahan pass me on <laughs> shitty roads. It's the same situation, but I haven't found him in a ditch. But I've had him pass me on, on bad roads. Wait till you do. It's all worth it then. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you're off. heading to the same trailhead. One was this year first. in the dark. He passed me on a just a, a normal road, hauling a trailer. Kale. Yeah, I called the trailer. I called him. I said, you're going to end up in the ditch. 
He doesn't seem like a reckless person. <laughs> He's just confident on snowy roads, I guess. So, Jen Lewis, you just handed me, I'm not going to tell anybody what you just handed me, but you handed me a new backpack. I did. That you're working on. Mm-hmm. That I can put my, I'm not working on it. That y'all. Paul is definitely working Paul's on Paul's working on. You guys invented the world's greatest duffel bag, which is not available you yet. You like that? What's that called? The pit duffel. Dude, that is the best. Like, I, I'm sort of a duffel bag connoisseur. Yeah. That is the, I used to think that the best duffel bag ever m- made, Patagonia had one called the shuttle duffel. I have one. After they quit making it a million years ago, I used to go now and then on eBay trying to find a used one is how much I liked it. Yeah. This is the new best duffel bag. It's pretty sweet. Um, I think you got the new one with the new fabric. Yeah. Sailcloth, which is, is same. that what that's called? Yeah, it's the same fabric that they make sailboat sails out of. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. So highly durable. Yeah, Paul was messing around with different ones all yeah. the time. He yeah. gave me one, and the, the baggage handlers would ruin them. Yeah, I think so that's the I'd whole se- reason. So then I'd send it back to him and be like, no, baggage handlers ruined it. <laughs> yep. He finally got a fabric that the baggage handlers can't ruin. Yeah, it should ruin. be like nearly indestructible. Yeah, because some of the material he was using was great and real waterproof, but it would get when it gets when things get stuck in the baggage carousel, it would abrade it. Yeah. Because it was kind of catchy. Yeah, and I the think we're going to do a few sizes of that. Well, I hope so, because that needs to be medium, <laughs> right? Okay. I'll let him know. Don't, well, he knows. Okay. Well, I mean, I told, I told him that's what I think. I think it should be medium and there should be small and large. I think that's the direction we're going. Because that one's a little, for carry-on, it's a little It's a little sketchy. Too big? Too small? No, no. You could carry it on, but it'd be like if you stuffed it to the gills, you're not going to be able to use it as a carry-on bag, I'm yeah. afraid. But yeah. There's a smaller one and then and then a big, giant yeah, and I think mambo-jambo bag. Because we had a different bag kind of in the works that I think you had. But I think this is replacing that. And so there will be a larger size. Oh, okay. Good, good. Big enough. I mean, the guy stuck me in it. So. Oh, that it's, big. It's big. Wow. I haven't seen that. I have a cooler that two people can fit in. Yeah. I don't know. How would you know that? It's, it's a funny story. I had a buddy of mine who's a kind of a lawyer. He's like a lawyer, but he doesn't do any law dogging. <laughs> so. <laughs> so I was what's trying to do? I don't. You know, that's a great question. <laughs> so. He. Uh. I needed some paperwork drawn up for like a thing I own with some other, like our cabin. I need some paperwork drawn up. And he's like, oh, I'll do it. He goes, you just got to get me a cooler for my boat. And he tells me, what's that cooler I got sitting outside? Annie Racer and Brittany got in it one time. We were able to close I don't know lid. what side. They, I mean, for those blue water boats, that like, we'd, we'd have to look it up. It takes two people to move it. It's like a four. 600 maybe? I don't eight, know. I don't know. Two people can lay down lengthwise in it and yeah. shut the door. My buddy says, I'll do the legal work if you get me a cooler for my boat. And I'm like, that's fine. So he says, this is the cooler I want. And it's a giant, the biggest Yeti cooler ever made. I'm like, that's not going to fit on your boat. Oh, yeah, it'll fit. I get the cooler delivered to my house. He comes over. That's not going to fit on my boat. (laughs) (laughs) So I still have that thing. Uh, I use it to store like bird seed and stuff in it and like charcoal. (laughs) (laughs) just what it was designed for just what it was designed for uh what else is coming up so the so the when will that duffel bag be for sale june i think it'll be june we've got just a couple of launches this year so much new year came out last year in the spring um the rest of our apex belt system hydration pack that'll come out in february and then the pit duffel and a couple other small items will be coming out in june that i can't talk about yet yeah that's no problem 
I hunted the, I hunted turkeys all spring in the apex belt. Did you like it? Yeah, I love it's it. It's kind man. of a game changer. Yeah, no, it's great. So the apex belt is like what they like Paul calls it like he hesitates to use the term, but it's similar to a battle belt. So that's kind of like different words. I don't know what the hell. Yeah, the like word. a tactical, like load bearing belt or yep. a battle belt. Um, obviously, years of SWAT team. He had, you know, a similar belt. It's kind of actually what got him sewing is he had to buy a battle belt and he was too cheap. So he said, I bet I could make one. And that's what got him sewing. Oh, is that really? Yeah. Oh. So so that's how he got into sewing, but um, ended up making belts for a few different guys. Obviously, we've come a long way. This is a three-piece belt, so different than what you would typically find, and it's a structured belt. Um, so the other colorways of that product will be launching um, with some accessories like box call pouch, a few other turkey stuff. So... Yeah, you put, well, like everything at FHF always fits together. So you put the belt on, there will be a hydration bladder that goes on it that functions as a backpack. There's a fanny pack thing. There's pockets for pot calls. There's what I call the morel bag. Uh, yeah, the, the dump pouch. <laughs> the dump There's pouch. this dump pouch bag that rolls up to the size of like, if you make the okay symbol, you can't really do that for a long time. People thought you were making a, mm-hmm. you, know, you remember this? This was real bad to do. That's still yeah. that's still a thing. It's no listen. <laughs> no, let me tell you something. I don't want to name names. Let me tell you something. The turkey call incident. This you can tell the, that story. The best story I've ever heard. <laughs> okay, I, I've I heard witnessed this. it in the height of all the paranoia. Okay, about don't say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing. We're down in South Carolina, and I'm, we're turkey hunting, and we're on a dirt road that crosses a railroad track. Okay. There's a stop sign because it's a railroad track. I stop and I see a dude stop coming my way in South Carolina on dirt roads. I see that he's got his hand draped over his wheel holding a turkey diaphragm call to the point where I comment on it to my fellow passengers. And it's blaze orange. And I'm even trying to wonder whose call it is. And I'm like, oh, that guy's hunting turkeys too. He's, he's holding it between his point, hold it his thumb and his in the okay symbol point pointer finger. Yeah. He's got it the turkey call in his thumb and pointer finger. His palm rested on the wheel. Some of our camera guys are behind us. I drive past. He waves. They drive past. Apparently, he waves too. Later, they get all all excited that he had given them the white supremacist sim- single symbol. <laughs> yeah. Excited because it was a novel, fun thing to witness, or <laughs> I hope I was like that gentleman, <laughs> fellas, was holding a turkey call, okay, between his thumb and forefinger, and that is why he had to wave that way. During the height of that excitement, too, a dude won three, a dude won three like uh, Jeopardies, mm-hmm. and so they're announcing that he won three Jeopardies, and instead of going like when I want to do three, I do like uh. I guess thumb to pinky. How do you do three? Yeah, yeah. yeah. This, this, this is a whole plot point in, in Inglorious Bastards. The yeah, the, the three or the three or oh, three. I forgot about that. Yeah. So he throws a three like he's doing an okay. So they're announcing his name, third time champion, and he does this. Next day in the news, white supremacist. He's like, no, I think I was. I won three times. <laughs> <laughs> so what was I getting at? Why was I talking about that? <laughs> There uh, was uh, the, pouch. the pouch. Oh, 
Yeah, that has nothing to do with that story. Yeah, you're you're talking about the size of the pouch, and you. <clears throat> I don't. Oh, you the buy size of the pouch. Yeah, yeah, this is the it's size so of the pouch. So small <laughs> that if you make a what was formerly known as an OK symbol, you know they still use this in diving. Mm. Some diving, some is thumbs up, some is okay. So all day long, you're like, there's no white supremacy. The subsurface, white supremacy. So. You make the OK symbol, and this pouch would fit like through the OK symbol, but it rolls out to be like a, I don't know, the size of an Nalgene bottle. So when you find Morels, which is what I did, I undid it, and it's the perfect Morel pouch hanging off your belt. It's really comfortable, and then it's got a seat too mm-hmm. for turkey hunting. Yeah, like I've always been, I've, I've always been a reluctant user of turkey vests. This thing is far, far, far better than any turkey vest I've ever done. And when you sit down and you open the, the call pouch out, what's mm-hmm. the call pouch count again? The echelon pouch. The echelon pouch. You open that out, it kind of opens up. So your strikers and your pots are sitting right there, your scratch pads sitting right there. Then you zip back up. You don't be leaving everything laying out in the woods, which is my problem. Oh, man, I've left calls laying on the ground so many times. I remember calling Doug Duran, being like, hey, man, you know that one tree? Way at the back, like, can you go look under there for? <laughs> can you go over there and look for my stuff? Uh, so that's a good deal, and some of that's out now, and some's coming out. It'll kind of roll out, right? Yep, most of it's out now, just in a couple of colors, and then the rest of it will launch in February. We've got a box call pouch that's launching, the dump pouch that you just talked about, and then a couple other small accessories like suspenders. If you really want to load it up. You can buy suspenders. But the nice thing, you can use everything independently. Oh, yeah. So, you can tie it into your bino harness yep, if you want. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a sweet system. You know what I use a lot for, too? Uh, fishing in the summer. Yeah. Wading creeks. That's definitely what I use it for. So yeah. we spent a lot of time this fall. We went down to Sedona and did fly fishing, and I wore it the whole time, and it was great. You did fly fishing? Yep. Went fly fishing. I went fly fishing. <laughs> <laughs> did it. Did that. Um, anything else we should know about? Um, lots of exciting stuff coming in 25, so we'll probably start leaking some of that out in the next six months. Oh, I don't want to show this. Let's say I liked this. (laughs) (laughs) When would that be available? That'll be out in 25. Oh, really? Way in the future. Yeah. All right. Thank you for letting me try one out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do we want to get into this now, Corinne, or does it take too long to get into? Uh, I mean, you can feel free to skip any of the things. I'm going to talk about this. Because we spent a bunch of time on this talking about it already. We got in a big old argument. Put a bow on it. Yeah, this will be the end. This will be. We're gonna have to bring back that song, Corinne. We done beat this horse to death. <laughs> Are you it's gonna bring to up Cal's on. email while you're at it? Cal's email. <laughs> Remember, he got all mad oh, that Cal we were got spending real mad time that we were on talking this? about this. <laughs> so we got a little bit of a fight here in the studio one day about the ornithological society's decision to rename 60 birds, which I felt was obsessive in a, in a, in a media grab. Um, nowadays it's like you just to give a quick recap nowadays it's bad form. Have you ever named a species or been involved in naming a species, Carmen? (laughs) No, no. Well, but it's not like you think, like I know people that have got to name them because you know, they split so much in taxonomy. Mm -hmm. If you worked with invertebrates or catfish or something, you get to be involved in all kinds of species naming. Because everybody's like, you know, you go down to South America and everybody's like, oh, you know that little brown catfish? Then one day you go to another river and you realize that whatever. Yeah, yeah. 
This one has a lot of eight rays yep. on its tail, but next river over, it's got nine rays on its tail. Then you get to name it something new. Mm-hmm. So that those guys get, like, if you were in beetles, you'd be naming something every day. Oh, yeah. Or worms. Yeah. Something like that. Naming worms in South America, you probably could name one every day. But in, in your business of the cat business, you probably don't stumble no. across a whole hell of a lot of your no. cats. Uh, so it used to be that you'd name stuff your last name. Um, and then the sample we always use is Stellar. So Stellar has the Stellar Sea Lion, Stellar's J, Stellar's Eagle. Mm-hmm. He just ran around naming everything after himself. Turns out I didn't know this. He was a hell of a nice guy. Uh, and also was very... In, 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 <laughs> yes, that's right. Randall's laughing. <laughs> I don't know if he's a hell of a nice guy. He's got a... <laughs> Randall, will you not laugh if I say he's got a hell of a resume? No, keep a straight face. Okay. Hell of a resume. Mm-hmm. And also, really, here, here's the clip. Here's the, here's, the, here's the kicker. At a time when people weren't very interested in this, Stella really went out of his way to study, understand, and record the life ways of native Arctic peoples. Did you know that? I read the same doc. <laughs> Randall's on fire today, huh? <laughs> You know, if you just, if you smile, you know, these people won't know listening. Yeah, that's true. Mm. <laughs> um, normally, Randall used to be a good guest. Remember that? Oh, I thought, I thought I was just doing well there. No. No, this is a bad. Remember who was a real good guest that we didn't realize was Max. You should maybe get rid of Randall and bring Max in more often. That's a hell of a guest right there. You ever been in a room with Max? <laughs> Some Maxes, I don't know which Max. Max in Barta. Oh yeah, he's yeah. a great guest. Yeah. Yeah. Reminds me of you when you were back when I was back a month ago. <laughs> <laughs> so it used to be common to name things after oneself. That that has fallen out of favor. So what these guys at the Ornithological Society are doing is they're saying to hell with it. They want to rename sixty some birds to eliminate anything offensive and eliminate anyone's last name. Um, so the Stellar's J would become, you know, that one purple J or, you know, right. Just get rid of it. And this guy wrote in, who's actually involved in naming a species. And he, this guy's like, listen, none of this matters different than Cal. Like he's interested in it as an intellectual exercise, but he's a researcher. What's he work on? He's a, he's a taxonomist bees and he works on native bees. Now, let me ask you guys a true or false. The honeybee is Not. native false false yeah, isn't that wild um he works on native bees and deals in which means he deals in the nomenclature of native bees and he says I want to start off by saying that the push to not name new species after people even ones who aren't well known like stellar etc is one that's very strongly felt in the scientific community at the moment and I've been questioned a couple times on some of my species names by people who didn't like the fact I was naming them after folks. Presumably not himself. I had a friend that got to name some catfish species in South America, and she named them all after the indigenous tribes in that area. Which is good Seems poli- reasonable. Good politics. Yeah. He points this out. He says, but it's important to note that the changing of names after the fact is unheard of. 
There remains to this day a species of beetle named after everyone's least favorite Austrian painter. And and how would you pronounce that, Carmen? Oh, God, you're asking me? Oh, yeah, you're probably really good on Latin. <laughs> <laughs> what did they teach you in school? What would you say? Right there. I would say Hitler. I. No, 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 no. The first word. Oh. Anophthalmus. Hitler. I. Hitler. I. Yeah. So here we are. He's got a beetle named after him. Uh, and he says, which stands as a testament that scientifically we don't change names for any reason, no matter how offensive. It's worth noting, this is him still talking. It's worth noting, however, with this whole situation that the Ornithological Society is, in, in Trumpian N-O-T, all capital, is not the authoritative body on nomenclatural acts of animals. That is solely the domain of the board of the I-C-Z-N. The International Code of Zoological Nomenclature. They are not changing the actual names of these birds, but they're changing their own, meaning the, the Ornithological Society. They're not changing the actual names of these birds. They're changing their own suggestions for common names, which is fun, as the person writing in then editorializes and says, which is fundamentally meaningless. It would be the equivalent of pheasants forever deciding that they're going to call the bird the American ring-necked pheasant. So, ugh. okay. Right now, if you look up a pheasant right now, you know, do you know what the pheasant is called? Chinese ring-necked pheasant. Its official name is the Chinese ring-necked pheasant. He's saying that pheasants forever could one day say, from now on, it's the American ring-necked pheasant. Like, oh, you'll, you'll find this interesting, Brooklyn. I got sick of people calling skulls European mounts because I just didn't see what's so European about it. <laughs> like Native Americans used cleaned up skulls in the Sundance ceremony. Did they call it a Euro mount? Couldn't tell you. They didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so I started calling them freedom mounts in memory of when we had to reband French fries during the Iraq invasion. <laughs> okay. Because the French didn't want us, the French thought that that was not a good idea. <laughs> stupid that was <laughs> how dumb they were and so in retaliation they proposed that french fries become freedom fries and then i think promptly went back to french fry after that debacle uh so he says if the if the pheasants forever all of a sudden came out and said hey you know what we're gonna call it the american ringneck pheasant the rest of the world would be like call it what you want buddy at the end of the day it's still phasianus Colchicus. He says this is essentially especially true for birds like Steve's favorite Stellar's Jay. The Ornithological Society can change the name to the anti-Stellar's Jay <laughs> <laughs> all they want. The species name will still be Cyanotica Stellary, which means that Stellar's Jay remains the technically correct name. And if I've been paying attention to trivia, it seems being technically correct is Steve's favorite kind of correct. He goes on. Overall, this move by the Ornithological Society seems strange to me as someone whose literal job is to assign and assess the validity of species names. Once in place, provided they remain valid, 
Scientific names never change, no matter how offensive, and they certainly don't prevent people from entering the scientific fields associated with those names. So the suggestion that some birders may feel excluded by the fact that a J is named after Stellar holds about as much water as changing its common name does. Durkin also, our beloved friend Pat Durkin, also wrote an article about that covers on the changing of bird names and also gets into, mainly focuses in on a movement. <laughs> this is, this is going to sound like a joke, but it's not. A movement to coin the term Bob Kitten for a Bobcat Kitten. There's even a, um, there's even like a change.org petition. And, and he tracks how the media has picked up on Bob Kitten which really, I guess, irritates the hell out of bobcat researchers. So watch out for the word bobkitten. You ever throw that around? No. You ever heard it? No. Pat might be trying to make up. <laughs> Pat might be doing that thing they do on Fox a lot where they take a thing that isn't really a thing but make it like it's a big thing to be worried about. Mm -hmm. I read the article. It seemed legit. You don't think Pat's doing that? No. He had a lot of cases of people trying to say bobkitten. Mm -hmm. Pat does not like that one bit. Man, between streaming services, fitness apps, and delivery services, it's never ending. I'm talking about the, the, the subscriptions, the monthly dings on your credit card. Well, thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. Rocket Money is a personal finance app. It goes in and finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. Meaning, you know, like, let's say there's like a show that comes out and you want to watch it and you wind up doing like this free trial and you forget about it. And then two years later, you realize you're paying those hosers 12 bucks a month for something you don't use. It finds that stuff, cancels it and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. Instead, Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all the app's features. With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Again, rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Spring is a great time to do something with your family. Do some spring cleaning, which I kind of started today outside, planning outdoor activities, which I'm always doing, taking a little trip to Hawaii with your kids for spring break, which I just did, which was great. You know what else you can do for your family this spring? You can shop for life insurance with Policy Genius. Make that part of your financial planning for the year. I've said it before a thousand times, I'll say it again. When my wife and I, when we started having kids, we got serious about life insurance, and man, I felt so much better after we did. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just 292 bucks per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it may not follow you if you leave your job. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com.
Applying for tags each year in the West can be daunting. Yeah, I apply for everything everywhere. It's daunting. You have to go to a variety of sources to formulate your best guess as to where to apply. Well, this is a thing of the past now. Onyx just launched hunt research tools to simplify the process for all hunters. This tool helps organize the data that matters, makes comparing hunt options easy, and helps hunters develop a plan based on real metrics rather than gut feelings. OnX Hunt also offers all elite members a free digital membership to Hunt and Fool, who I use, for boots on the ground, insight and knowledge, and a membership to Hunt Reminder so you never miss another deadline. Stop stressing over application season and apply with confidence in 2024. Check out OnX Hunt Research Tools, free for all OnX Hunt Elite members. Not an elite member? Well, let's fix that. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt. This is an app I use literally every day. I use it for every aspect of hunting, scouting, trapping, you name it. This is up in your neck of the woods, Carmen. You ready for this news item? Yeah. U.S. government wants 500,000 barred owls cold. Mm Mm-hmm. Cal told me this, and I thought, that cannot be true, but I didn't know that barred owls aren't native to the Pacific no. Northwest. No, no. Those yeah. dudes are everywhere now. Yep, yep. Hmm. They're kind of like yeah. whitetails. They can just creep on in, and they're, they um, they do better and can outcompete spotted owls. And so it's they're unbelievable. And so they're kind of moving in. Yeah. You remember the ones at the fish shack? Yeah, I never ever <laughs> at our fish shack in Southeast Alaska, yeah. never heard them. They're up there ripping all spring yeah. up there. Yeah. And they make some freaky noises. Oh, Seth will show you. Do it, Seth. They, they do their... <laughs> yeah. Well, so I mean, do the main one. <laughs> There's a screechy, screamy one, too. That... <laughs> Seth can rip it. They, rip say, they sound like a pack of monkeys sometimes, yeah. like up yeah. in the trees. I had no idea they weren't from around. I mean, I, do, mm-hmm. I feel like, like just anecdotally, if you just said to me, do you hear more barred owls than you used to? I would have said, like, definitely. Yeah. But I never, ever knew that they weren't from there. Yeah, yeah. They're creepers. So the U- this is the news article. from This was covered in Newsweek. I'm not sure where else it was covered. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service wants more than a half million barred owls to be shot dead. Lively language. (laughs) (laughs) Not just shot and injured by gunfire. (laughs) Not just not just shot. Not just shot and wounded. Shot dead in a coal to help protect other native species. Barred owls are an invasive an invasive species in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, From the East Coast. That's where I have a question though. If something makes its way there naturally. It's not invasive. It's not like we dumped them there. Yeah, this brings up a really interesting language thing. And we've talked about this a million times. That'd be, because if you move somewhere on your own, are you invasive? Because you would never say, like, like, uh, possums used to not extend outside of the Mason-Dixon line, but they do now. But no one says possums are invasive. They just moved. Right. Javelinas have gradually moved northward but they're not invasive in the northern end of their range in texas yeah you would never say that humans who move themselves uh out of africa all around the entire planet you would never say humans are invasive some people would but i get yeah you're right i think the the (laughs) spirit of it though is that these are species that have 
have moved into places because of changes in the habitat and the, the ecology that, that humans have brought around. Yeah, I get that. That's a good point. Indirectly, indirect yeah. to human. Yeah. yeah. Meaning if a monkey hopped on a plane, two mm -hmm. monkeys who were in love hopped on a plane and started a new population somewhere, you wouldn't go, well, they moved themselves around by hopping onto the plane. You would, they would be very readily labeled yeah. invasive species. Yeah. So I guess if you're paving the way from them. Exactly. Yeah. Like how white-tailed, like how mule deer are coming into Alaska. Mm -hmm. They're coming along the highway corridor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a good point. Okay, I'm back to being mad at Bart. I was mad at him, now I'm back to being mad at him. <laughs> this is, um, so in areas where barred owls are present in higher numbers, northern spotted owl populations are declining rapidly. They are now listed as a threat as threatened under the Endangered Species Act, with populations having declined by between 35% and 80% over the past 20 years due to barred owls. Do you, do, Carmen, you don't happen to know, Carmen's not a owl biologist. Uh, what's going on? How are they all competing? Is it for nest, nesting cavities, or what are mm. they arguing about? I don't know the exact mechanism, but when you get barred owls out of there, if the habitat's suitable, you're getting spotted owls back. Um, and really? this is, it, yeah, this is an, an, a new, controlling barred owls isn't a completely new thing. I've got a, a wonderful friend and colleague, and um, she's a great biologist, total badass, and she, uh, her job for a long time was going out hunting barred owls at night. That's the question. Shooting I, to kill. Yep. That's the qu question owls. I had about this whole thing, because they're planned to, Kill half a million over thirty. We should point out here. Yeah, it's over thirty years, right? Because it, it, it's like you're not going to go out and shoot a couple hundred of them a night. They're like what I read is like they call them. They use you know whatever thermal mm -hmm. or night. Oh, visions. me and Clay could have got four or five in Florida calling. Right. Yeah. But four or five a night, two dudes like <laughs> going to take a I'm while. Not that good at math. But I don't know. If, <laughs> I don't know if we'd get to five hundred thousand. <laughs> it just yeah. How, do you know who's who's going to do it? The go, they're going to do it themselves. The government, yeah, probably. Or they're going to enlist yeah, like citizen shooters. I have no idea. I have no idea. I mean, you, you know, you want to trust somebody that they're good at their owl ID, right? right at <laughs> night, you know, yeah. they're about yeah. to sit. The, he's got like, the same he's size. He's got some gray right? horns. He's got yeah. a few northern spotted. <laughs> yeah, he's like every owl I saw. Yeah, yeah. no, that's a good. Point. It's a it's a careful operation. Uh. Long time ago, we were having a, um, we were covering this thing in the news. It was that this, this involves Dirk and it has to do with like whether you could ever give someone, you could ever say to someone, kill barred owls, but don't kill all the other owls. But think about what you're saying though. We're, we're laughing about their inability to do it. How come you can say, uh, okay, you can get seven Drake mallards, two hen mallards, one hen northern pintail no scop but uh on and on some canvas backs but no scops redheads okay right like people are capable of some pretty specific mm -hmm. identification we were covering this push where they're trying to get in wisconsin northern pike spearing legalized i had no idea until this happened that you couldn't spear a pike in wisconsin and they were like, well, hunt, anglers won't be able to tell the difference between a northern and a muskie. 
Durkin wrote in and be like, well, how can you be trusted to tell the difference between, you know, a sharp-tailed grouse and a greater sage grouse and a hen pheasant and a male, you know, on and on and on, or all the duck stuff you're trusted to tell the difference, but you can't trust to tell the difference between these two fish. And someone wrote in to say, you don't know how drunk these people are. (laughs) (laughs) And talking about the ice fishermen in Wisconsin. Um, So we'll see what happens there. Yeah, I think that... I'm looking at you like you got something to tell me. <laughs> I mean, I I, got, I have lots of thoughts about invasive species control and all that, and I think it's... A, I'm not an invasive species manager, but mm-hmm. I can appreciate what a difficult job that is because on the one hand, you know, crowdsourcing this or using, you know, the community to help out, I mean, that's that's an obvious way to get more shit done, but... You're weighing all these other things. You're weighing, okay, what are the consequences of a like government-sanctioned hunt where we've got people out at night who are not just telling two birds apart, but trying to tell an invasive species at night from a spotted owl, which would be a big bummer but how, to accidentally but how, but how big is a spotted owl? Same size? About the same size. Oh, yeah. Oh. I mean, they're not wildly different creatures. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's a that's a higher risk. And when you've got a population of owls that is is really low, like spotted owls, you want to make sure people are getting it right. Got it. Yeah. Uh, you're pro big government. <laughs> I'm, I'm pro I careful management. No, <laughs> Here's a good segue. Uh, what's the most ready way? You being a lynx researcher, you have to have a lot of people who tell you they saw a lynx. Yes. And it's a bobcat. Yeah. I was dogging on camera. My own sister. (laughs) I was dogging on camera guys a minute ago about that dude holding the turkey call, so I don't want to dog on him again. So I'll tell you that I can't remember what type of person this happened to. (laughs) There's one of these types of people. I can't tell you what type. Always swears me up and down about the links he saw. Mm -hmm. And and just by where it was, I'm like, no, you just didn't. It had tufts on its ears. I'm like, "Mm -hmm." Mm mm-hmm. It did. Yeah. But not that kind. <laughs> I, the way I handle that is I, I hate bursting people's bubbles, and so I try to do it pretty gentle. Plus, lynx go weird places. And when there's invasions of lynx or one has gotten kicked out of its its own home range because it's an old lynx or whatever, they end up in strange spots. Oh, they do? Oh, yeah. So maybe this guy's right. It's There's always a chance. And so oh, I okay. will usually yeah, say something if like... He, if he, I know you're out there. If you took offense, I'd take it back. I, I would say something like... For where that was, I would be very surprised. But links go weird places. You never know. So that's pretty cool. That's yeah. what I usually say. Oh, that's then, what you'll say. <laughs> yeah. You'll throw, like you'll throw them a little bone. Yeah. Yeah. And because I like don't know. To keep the dream alive. Exactly. Yes. I don't want to be a dream smasher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've, I've laid my eyes on one lynx. Mm-hmm. I know it was a lynx. Okay. Because it was in the Arctic. Yes. That's pretty solid. It was just on the south slope of the Brooks Range. It stepped out into the pipeline road. Uh-huh. And 20 feet off the bumper. And it was like looking into another planet. Mm-hmm. It was the first links I saw. I'm convinced I was the first person it saw. It looked at me with like utter like disinterest, but also no sort of preconceived notion of it. What that I might be trouble as I opened the door. Mm-hmm. And then he just walked off. Never laid yeah. eyes on another one. That's pretty special. Yeah. Not many people. I'm see glad that. for the one. Yeah, and I don't know if I'll get to see another one, but yeah. it was the one I saw, and That's it was really it was cool. like they have a face like a, it's like they have a human baby face. 
That's funny. I always say they have an old man face. Oh, yeah. Well, it's the same thing, man. <laughs> it kind of is, huh? <laughs> you know, Phil lost it. It was one of my favorite things I owned. <laughs> Phil lost it. Uh, I used to have this Not claiming responsibility for I this. used to have this quote. It was framed in our old studio. You might have read it. It was a guy talking about on seeing his children born. It was an Irish writer talking about seeing his children born. That when they come out, how ancient they are. Mm-hmm. And he said, like, Egyptian pharaohs, like, with their features smoothed by time, traveled across this immense journey to be here. And he goes, and then, in an instant, they become young. Hmm. So, meaning, it can be an old man and a little baby. Mm-hmm. Like a human baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, we're on the same page about Human weather. babies come out, they look like crazy old men mm-hmm. for a couple seconds. Yeah. Uh, what else are you looking at when you're looking, just to verify, when someone says, oh, my God, a lynx. Uh, the feet, mm-hmm. they got kind of a jacked up back end, meaning that their their butts are a little higher than their, good point. their shoulders. Mm-hmm. Now that and, you say that, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. And then their their tails. So bobcats, the, the tip of the of a bobcat tail is black on top and the sides and then white underneath. Whereas got a bobcat, it. it's like their tail was oh, dipped back in. Back up, back up. Or sorry, a lynx is, is dipped in ink. Like it, it's black all the way around on the tip. Hmm. Mm. So yeah, white, okay. Bobcat, white on the bottom, lynx, the end of their tail, completely black all the way around. No white on the bottom. Oh, you mean if he turned his tail up? Yeah, or if you can you can see it from the side even on a bobcat. That's that's one the of the under so the underside of a lynx's tail. Okay, yeah. If you're thinking about a lynx's tail and there's the tip of it, yeah, and the top of it and sides are are black there, but on the bottom is white. On a lynx. Nope. Bobcat. <laughs> You'll get it. You'll get it. No, I'll get there. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's start with a bobcat. bobcat. Tell me about a bobcat's tail. Bobcat's tail. And people know, just so you know, people, uh, this is helpful for people that send us in photos wondering what they're looking at. Yeah, this camping. is a good one for photos. Bobcat, it has a, it means it's a cat with a bobbed tail. Yes, was it, which a lynx also has a also short tail. Also has a bobbed yeah. tail. So a bobcat's tail looks like this. Looks like this. Black Okay, we're talking about the end of the tail, the tip of the tail. Yeah. It's black on top, white on the bottom. And it's, I wouldn't have been able to tell you that. I mean, I've handled them and I wouldn't be able to tell you that's true. I believe well, you. I, I just I, never looked that yeah, carefully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so um, even from the side, so if you're looking at trail camera pictures and the, and you can see the tail, this is really, really helpful because you'll see some white. On a bobcat's yep, tail. Yeah, even from the side, you can, you can see that the bottom is white, whereas a lynx, the entire end of the tail looks like it was dipped into black ink. No kidding. Uh-huh. Yeah. Do you know what's funny about lynx is um, I want you to talk about the range of lynx. Mm-hmm. But are you familiar with the comedian Jerry Clower? He's dead. No. He was a storyteller. He used to get up at the Grand Ole Opry between musical acts and tell hunting stories. Different time. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a story about a guy that... Uh, he has a story about... A, some of his characters are out raccoon hunting at night in Mississippi. Okay. And there's a guy they're hunting with who won't let anyone shoot. He thinks it's disrespectful to shoot a raccoon out of a tree. He thinks the only respectable way to do it is you got to climb up into that tree. And Clower talks about how they their dogs tree a raccoon in the, quote, biggest sweet gum tree of all of Amet County. And this dude, John Newbanks, they're like, I bet you can't climb up that tree, John, because he'll climb them up and knock them out with a stick and then let the dogs fight them. Hmm. So he says, you got to give a coon a sporting chance. So 
he Clower talks about how he takes off his brogan shoes and digs his toenails into the bark of that sweet gum <laughs> tree. Trim those. <laughs> <laughs> and is able to climb into the sweet gum tree and then all hell breaks loose and Clower says that it was a lynx up in that tree in Mississippi. Okay, I'm going to say no. <laughs> but here's the thing. That is... always bothered me because everything with Clower is so precise. I think he meant to say a mountain lion. You know what? I bet you he wasn't because bobcat. in Durkin's article, he lists a bunch of common names, like semi-common names for bobcats. And l- there was a couple different versions of Lynx. Yeah. But Clower says this, but it wasn't no coon. This is a quote, but it wasn't no coon. It was a Lynx, a souped up wildcat. I'm just telling you, they had like some <laughs> Southern Do you think that's Lynx. that's what he maybe meant? Yeah. It was I like vernacular kind of names for yeah, bobcats. They, that's, oh, God. Now I'm back. This puts all my faith back in the clower. <laughs> yeah, you can have that back. Uh, because that's one of the difficult things about figuring out the historic range of links in the lower 48. Okay. We're relying on trapping records, and people were not consistent with calling bobcats bobcats and links links. There'd be lynx cat and, you know, yeah. Got so, it. You'll sometimes look at mark, mark, fur bear market reports, and I'll see lynx cat. Yeah. That means a bobcat or a lynx? I'm not sure. People, It's this common name thing, right? People can call oh. them whatever they want, kind of. What's the fir- What's the most southern lynx that's like confirmed that you're aware of? Now? Yeah. Colorado, maybe down into Utah every once in a while. But like as, as a resident population, Colorado. Let's gotcha. say European contact. Huh? Let's say a good stab at where... Oh. Yeah, like give me Probably a good Colorado. stab. Okay. Yeah. So... so the distribution is, isn't changed remarkably. Right. They, yeah, we you. don't think the distribution has changed much. It's just how many animals are, are in those spots. The density has changed. Yeah. Got it. Yep. So they'll follow the Rockies down into Colorado, maybe Utah. Mm-hmm. By the time you get into how far into Canada are they across the whole top of Canada? Not much further north than, than the border. Oh, across all of Canada? Yeah, you got to get way up or? I mean, no, you don't have to get, well, wherever there's boreal forest, that's where they are. So, you know, in, in places like Alberta where there's there's more um, prairie and stuff like that, they're not going to be down in that, but they get pretty ubiquitous in as soon as there's forest. boreal forest. Yep. I've read that the boreal forest is the largest biome on earth. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's a cool, cool space. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Lay out the work you work. Lay out where and what work you're doing right now, currently. Okay. Um, with just the Lynx project? You want yeah, me to start? Project, okay. Yeah. So let's see. We're starting on year two of of our field effort uh, for our Lynx and Wildfire project. So in, in the lower 48, we were just talking about their distribution. Uh, there's five resident populations of Lynx. There's Washington, Mm -hmm. there's Idaho, Montana, there's Minnesota and Maine, and then Colorado. Hold on, Minnesota has lynx? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ah, Yeah. Did you know that, Brody? I did not. You'd have got that wrong. It's the uh, the WNBA team, isn't it? The Minnesota lynx? Yeah, but Michigan Wolverines, dude. But it makes, I mean, you think about that North Country stuff. Yeah, they they got got Fishers and Martin. A lot of spruce forest. and They got lynx there. Yeah. So, Do you know that, Seth? In Minnesota? Don't lie. No. Dr. Randall? I didn't even know no. Maine had them. I'm yeah, Maine's got a good, good population. Huh. They're doing, Maine they're had doing caribou well. up until the 1920s. 
there's a, the, I think the furthest north city or town town in Maine is called Caribou. I mm-hmm. could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Didn't yeah. know that. Good job, Carl. You want to hear some common Bobcat names? Bobcat or Lynx names? Bobcat. Well, like vernacular names. Lynx Rufus, Bay Lynx. Well, Lynx, Lynx Rufus, Rufus is yeah. a scientific name. Include Bay Lynx, Barred Bobcat, Catamount, Cat of the Mountain, Lynx Cat, Pallid Bobcat, Red Lynx, Wildcat, and Shot Sauvage. When they get into those lists, hmm. I feel like they're starting to throw in stuff that some dude said once. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just saying. Clower was. Yeah, no, probably. I'm back to love and Clower. Yeah. Anyone interested in Jerry Clower, besides listening to Jerry Clower, you could go listen to the Bear Grease episodes about Jerry Clower. Um, he's one of my favorite people. My kids like Jerry Clower a lot. You never heard Jerry Clower? Mm-mm. Go type up, will you promise me something? Sure. Type up Jerry Clower, a coon hunting story. All right. <laughs> That's the one that has the lynx cat in it. All right. Brooklyn, you tracking all this? Yeah. How would you gauge, how would you, if you had a one, on a one to 10, how interesting this is, what would you give it? Like six. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See, All right, that's, a reliable, your... that's a reliable. That's a reliable. That's who you need around, man. Is someone that gives it to you straight. Because you, know? <laughs> you can see her being clinical. Like, yeah, you can see her being like, "Oh yeah, nine and being in your head like, "Yeah, right." Mm-hmm. <laughs> she might have been like three, but I can't say that. <laughs> no, it's encouraging. There's room for improvement, but we're it's still... not as bad as it could be. Yeah, right. Um. Okay, I didn't know that. Like, like, do you have rough ideas? Oh, you were doing the five, so Washington. Yeah. Now, why is it not Washington, Oregon? Oregon's too far down? Too far south. Okay. So okay. in Washington, our our lynx range is, is interesting because we've got the, the North Cascades. Yeah. And they quickly start to transition into more southerly forest types. Lynx rely on snowshoe hares. They're a specialist predator. 85 to 90% of their diet is snowshoe hares. That's what they're mm. built for. Mm-hmm. That's that's what makes them different from from bobcats and big parts. You sent me the coolest photo of brand new snowshoe hair tracks oh, with yeah. brand new yes. lynx tracks, both of them running yep. laid yeah. over top of each other. That was yeah. cool. That is that is their thing. Is yeah. their they rely on snowshoe hares. And they've snowshoe hares, obviously, because of their name, uh, we all know that they've got those big feet, and that makes them um, able to get around in these deep snow environments. Lynx, same thing. It's like the arms war thing. They've they've evolved with big, giant Muppet feet, and they're they're really light framed and um they can just walk on the snow the same way. So they, they're mm. like built to pursue snowshoe hares and live in these deep snow environments, boreal, subboreal forest. So in, in Washington, it's um, we're in this cool place where this boreal forest is starting to transition into more southerly forests. And they, they so we're, we're right on the range edge mm-hmm. of lynx because their habitat's about to just peter out. So we've got a naturally small population because of that, because their habitat's just sort of marginal. Now um, we're getting megafires, which are fires that are over 100,000 acres, mm-hmm. um, warmer, drier, windier summers, we're snowpack in the winter, um, we're just having more frequent, bigger, hotter, high-severity fires. And that um, is not good for lynx because... Snowshoe hares 
rely on a forest that's got a bunch of branches down low, a lot of horizontal cover. So like stuff that you wouldn't maybe want to bushwhack through. That's what snowshoe hares love because they eat those branches and everybody wants to eat a snowshoe hare. So so those branches and that that understory uh, gives them some protection from predators. Mm-hmm. So because snowshoe hares need that kind of forest, that's where lynx are. When a huge high severity fire and high severity means like it's killing almost or all of the trees in that patch. When a big fire comes through like that, there's pretty much no trees left. It, it's matchsticks. And there and goes so, the snowshoe hares. There goes the snowshoe hares. There goes the lynx. Um, and so Washington is in this unique place where we are just getting hammered by these fires, partially because of, of um, our changing climate, but also because we just have kind of a unique, and I don't know why this is, um, but we get a ton of lightning strikes. Okay. And so from starting in the year 2000, we just started getting hit, boom, 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 by these giant fires to the point where now you look at a map of lynx habitat and it looks like it's mostly burned recently. And so this has put a big hurt on our lynx population. You think um, so? Oh, absolutely. How many lynx are in Washington? There. I mean, I, I, no difficult. one knows. But yeah, I mean, nobody. Give me, give me, in the thousands? Oh, no, 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 no. No. Okay. <laughs> no. Um, around 60 maybe. Yeah, it's mm. bad. It's really, really bad. Sixty in the state, and then, Sixty okay, in the state. Uh, and then I, I, I know we're a little out of secret, but I want to revisit something. Washington, and you said mm-hmm. Idaho, Montana. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that—that's what, not thousands. Uh, hundreds. Okay, maybe hundreds. And yeah, then Minnesota. I don't. I don't know about Minnesota. Maine is hundreds as well. Hundreds. But all you know, all of these. But you're, the this... population you're toying with. Is it's sta- sub 100. Yes. It's we're how certain are you that it's sub 100? Mm. On a scale of one to five, four and a half, but I like mm. to be optimistic. Okay. Maybe yeah. we've got a hundred, yeah. <laughs> but you don't have 300. We don't have 300. Yeah. No, no. And if so, you go back 25 years, how many are you talking about? Like, mm, what's the rate now of decline? It starts to get really sketchy on estimates. Yeah. It's not a lot. It's yeah. maybe, oh, I know I've read this number somewhere. Maybe, maybe between 150 and 200. Sure. So, um, when a fire happens in one of the, like the snowshoe hare population just gets nuked, mm-hmm. is it like an immediate precipitous decline for the bobcat? Or, I mean, for the lynx? Mm-hmm. Or like, are they such specialists they can't like adjust and be like, I'm going to go after squirrels or I'm going to go after. Birds or whatever. Yeah. Um, so it the the I think the answer is it kind of depends. Right. So when a fire burns, so for example, 2006 was our first big burn. It was called the tripod burn, and it burned most of what was considered the best lynx habitat that we had in Washington. And that, let's see, the the winter following that burn, um, we started. Or a lynx project started and we got callers out on cats that were living right adjacent to that burn. And um, what we found was that it, it's just ha- a habitat. It's a bunch of habitat lost. And so, you know, we don't know exactly what happened to those lynx that were living right there. Maybe they dispersed, which that's 
you know, that's a dangerous thing to do um, because you might not find another home range. Maybe they went up to Canada and found something. Who knows? But that becomes largely unusable habitat. Presumably a lot of them just burn up, right? I think less animals burn up than we think. Really? I mean, yeah. I, I mean, you yeah. You're able to, but like, take something like pine squirrels. There's no way pine squirrels are getting away from a fire. I think they've got some time. I have found burned up pine squirrels, though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I think, but think a lot was, of animals like you, But you think get like out. lynx are just moving ahead of it and staying Yeah, out? yeah. I think so. I think okay. they'd have to get cornered or trapped. Hmm. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. I did have a friend find a, how he described it was barbecued cougar after a big fire that we had. It got trapped in a little canyon. Got it. Um, but I, I don't think they're burning up. I think hmm. they're getting out of there. Got it. They've, they've evolved with fire. Yeah. Have um, you found like other things lynx have killed like deer or do they feed on, do they cannibalize themselves or like, have you found anything that was surprising that you um, know a lynx? Right. I haven't found anything surprising. They'll eat. So let's see, let me back up. They rely on snowshoe hares to the point where there's this sort of um, classic ecology lesson that in the northern part of their their range where there's lots of snowshoe hares and lots of of lynx, there's a cycle where lynx um, slightly lagging behind snowshoe hares population numbers will uh, increase as snowshoe hares increase and then as snowshoe hares start to decrease links start decreasing. And so this it's this this cycle. It's more than just links driving that cycle. There's a whole suite of predators. Every like I said, everybody wants to eat mm -hmm. a snowshoe hair. That's just like it's a it's a great friends snack friends in Alaska have told me who trap links have told me that it's almost immediate the boom bust yeah, that goes along with snow. Because we like down here we don't have the snowshoe hair cycles. Right. They're, they're either, you know, just we're kind of at a constant low or just really dampened yeah. uh, amplitude. We don't the have cycles. those like in, the insane swings. Right, right. Have you ever seen that stuff where they went through Hudson Bay Company Lynx records mm -hmm. and they're able to see a seven year swing on mm -hmm. how many Lynx pelts the Hudson right. Bay Company was dealing with like in the 1700s, mm -hmm. 1800s, whatever. Mm -hmm. And they're able to kind of correlate that to the, to the. Cat, yeah, the exactly. Population. Yep, yep. And so that's those fur records are where started. You know, people started to notice. Oh, this isn't like a steady, um, perfectly balanced uh, ecology here. You know, things things fluctuate. Yeah. Um, and so the yeah the cycles about every ten-ish years, okay. booms and busts. Um, and so anyway, that's just to illustrate how reliant on snowshoe hares links are. And they're chasing them in the summer when there's no snow. Yeah. They still yeah. the same thing. Yeah, okay. exactly. Um, when there's a, a, a low, they will rely more on red squirrels. Um, and so there, there is some of that, but it's 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 rarely a significant part of their Have diet. Have you seen that? It, it was a fairly viral video of a lynx killing a caribou. It's wild. Ooh. It's cool. I, I think it might that, have been but... in Europe, though. Their lynx well, are, I've are heard bigger. There's a, there's a record of one killing a, there's a record of a lynx killing a doll sheep. Oh, really? Yeah, a, a witness. In yeah. North America. Yeah, yeah. in Alaska. Huh. They it was will... in a book by a biologist from Fair, who's at the University of Alaska huh. Fairbanks, wrote huh. a book, and in it, there, there's a, a person watched it happen. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, there's, I've never seen it, but there are records of, you know, big lynx, which when I say big, I mean like 30, 31 pounds, taking down a, a deer if it's, you know, mired in snow mm. or something like that, held back by the snow. But really, 
it's snowshoe hares are where, where it's at yeah. for them. Yeah, like everybody knows, like bears eat honey. <laughs> now and then, of their diet. like now and then, they honey. eat something besides honey. Yeah. Now and then, they'll eat your box sheet. <laughs> but mostly, they like honey. Yeah, yeah. Did you know Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you? They'll even alert you when there's been an increase in a subscription price and negotiate rates for you. I can see my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. You wouldn't believe how many people are paying for subscriptions they don't use. This happened to me. It's annoying. This helps you find it out and get rid of it. Well, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions and monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Applying for tags each year in the West can be daunting. Yeah, I apply for everything everywhere. It's dawning. You have to go to a variety of sources to formulate your best guess as to where to apply. Well, this is a thing of the past now. Onyx just launched hunt research tools to simplify the process for all hunters. This tool helps organize the data that matters, makes comparing hunt options easy, and helps hunters develop a plan based on real metrics rather than gut feelings. Onyx Hunt also offers all elite members a free digital membership to Hunt and Fool, who I use, for boots on the ground, insight and knowledge, and a membership to Hunt Reminder, so you never miss another deadline. Stop stressing over application season and apply with confidence in 2024. Check out OnX Hunt Research Tools, free for all OnX Hunt Elite members. Not an elite member? Well, let's fix that. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt. This is an app I use literally every day. I use it for every aspect of hunting, scouting, trapping, you name it. Hey, I'm excited to share our newest sponsor here on the Meat Eater Podcast, which is Poncho Outdoors. The reason I'm excited is I buy their shirts anyways. I don't, I don't I, listen, man, I, I rarely go into stores to buy clothes. I like to, I just buy my stuff online and I love their shirts. Max that I work with, Max Bard, who comes on the podcast one day. I don't know if he sent me a link to this place. I went on and bought some shirts. Dude, they make some good shirts. And they even have an option where if you're like a skinny dude, you can click like the skinny dude thing and get like a whole different cut of the shirt. It's great. Based in Austin, Texas, Poncho is committed to crafting the world's best outdoor shirts for men. They got it started out with a lightweight fishing shirt. Now they make all kinds of other lines. Western, denim, flannel, corduroy. Better fitting. Not, not all baggy. Better performing because they got modern fabrics with some stretch and breathability and way comfortable. Poncho is only sold on their own website. So head over to ponchooutdoors.com. Use code MEATEATER for a free hat or t-shirt with any purchase of a shirt. Poncho offers free shipping and returns so you can try them out risk-free.
So back to the fires. Um, Links are listed as threatened all across the lower 48. Mm. In Washington, they're listed by the state as endangered. And that's in large part because of this blow up of fires that we've had. And so what we're trying to do, um, because it's really, it's, it's a whole paradigm shift of what we think we know about their habitat here in Washington. Um, all the, or many of the habitat studies that were done earlier on were on a landscape that was, that was um, largely unaffected by wildfires because it was the suppression era when the Forest Service was doing a really good job of, of putting out starts. Now we're to the point where climate conditions are such and our, our fuels out there are so loaded and contiguous because we were excluding those small fires that would naturally happen and mm-hmm. sort of break up the fuel bed. Now they just blow up, and they're often beyond our firefighting capabilities. So we can't we can't rely on um, suppression, and and nor should we if we want to try to get our landscape back to a place where it's it can have somewhat of its own negative feedback loop with fire, where little fires are sort of um, dampening the effects of future fires. Yep. Um. So anyway, what we know about habitat was largely based on that that really fire unaffected landscape. Now we've we've flip-flopped. Now most of our landscape is affected by fires and not just fires but really big fires that burned with a high severity, so killing a lot of the trees. And so we need to get in there and figure out how lynx are using this new novel uh landscape. They've got a, a whole new menu of I mean all of the options. regrowth. The regrowth, the different, um, let's see, when we talk about boreal forest, yeah, there's forest, but if you really think about that. Can you describe boreal forest for people? So it's more ubiquitous up in Canada and Alaska. It's that that spruce and fir, lodgepole pine forest that's, um, you know, in mountains, it's sort of that that subalpine right before you get out of of tree line. yeah, it's it's that ecosystem, that spruce fir, like you'd see up in Alaska or, or Canada. Got it. Yeah. And here and there, you'll see aspens, which doesn't mm-hmm. rule out. Sure. Yeah, doesn't yeah. rule out it being boreal forest. Right, right, right. Um, where was I going with that? Oh, boreal forest. We think about, okay, a forest, we can picture a forest, but with um, we can think a little more thoughtfully about that and realize that there's all different structure types within that. So what I mean by that is there's little short regenerating forests. There's, you know, older growth forest. There's 40-year-old fo- forest that's, you know, sometimes when you come across a patch of lodgepole pine and it's it's maybe, you know, the, the trunks are the size of dinner plates and it's just the, the canopy is so thick that the understory is totally parked out and you could just stroll through there no problem. Yep. So there's that type of structure. There's all these different structures. And again, for snowshoe hares, about that understory. It's about that dense structure. And so for lynx, it's about that dense structure. And so while we, we've, we've still got boreal forest out there, there's all different structures of it. There's just freshly burned, there's regenerating, there's that parked out understory when they're sort of middle-aged and there's old growth. There's different shapes and sizes of those patches of forest after a burn that are left. And so we need to figure out what are those structures and shapes that lynx are using because that's what we need to be f- focusing on now. Because that's what we've got, and these megafires are not stopping. And so, that's what does "focused" on mean? Um, 
we, we just need to learn the basics of, of this new habitat that they're using. And so that's what we're trying to learn about and focus on is, is burned habitat. So we, we're working in that burn. I was talking about that tripod burn that mm. burned in 2006. And we're going in there. We're getting lynx collars on lynx. And we're backtracking and we're using um, a whole bunch of cameras to figure out how they're making that burn work because they are making it work. We This is something that's really hopeful and cool that's happened in the last seven years is it's gone from we'd go out there looking for lynx tracks and see nothing, not even very many snowshoe hair tracks, to all of a sudden we're starting to see lynx tracks. And Over a the course years, of seven years. Yeah, oh, not very okay. much time. Um, to now, one of the... So cool- in your time out there, you've seen a difference. Oh, yeah. Big time. As it recovers. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, huh. One of the cool things we're seeing now is right after the burn, when we had those GPS collars on cats back in 2006, 7, 8, um, there, were, there were cats that were living right next to the burn. And if there were nice places in that burn that had skipped fire skips, so places where the burn went around for whatever reason, they'd jaunt in there and use those for hunting. And so we we learned from from that study that if there is some structure, there will be snowshoe hares and the lynx will make the most of that. And they'll find those spots. They'll find those spots. But those spots in the immediate aftermath of a fire were, pla- were places like fire skips and they'd, they'd, um, they'd preferentially use lighter area burns, you know, where there was still some live tree, just a little bit of cover to, to get to those spots. I mean, you've probably tracked... They like to have overhead cover. They like to have something. If you've ever followed any kind of cat tracks, they are so meticulous about hugging cover. They'd really rather not be out in the open. I think that's... I mean, I don't know what a cat's thinking. I'm not a lynx. But I think that's probably a mixture of just protection. But also, if there's any little bit of cover, there's a little chance there's some food. And they're just, they're always looking for sure, food. And yeah. so you'll, you'll see them do things like preferentially, you know, walk between two trees um, rather than just, you know, going alongside them. They're just, they're cool like that. They're, they're really using that cover. How big is their home range? That really varies. On the, probably on the, like, how much food is around. Exactly. Yeah. So in Washington, from our, our previous collaring, um, we had home ranges that were as small as, like, seven square miles all the way up to, you know, 90 or 100 square miles. They can be bigger. No kidding. I mean, it's Now, it's is, that, all... is that a male-female thing, largely? Um, or is it just personality, too? Males tend to be have larger because they want to overlap several females. Mm-hmm. But it's also what how much space, how much habitat do I need to make a living? So the, you know, the theory is if the habitat is less productive, you're going to need more of it. You're going to have to cover more ground. So one of the... So like in snowshoe hare paradise, he doesn't need to go. Right. It it could be a really small home range. Did you see that study years ago, maybe five or six years ago? Um, I don't know if you call it a study, but this observation from some years ago where there's guys looking at, they used to, these researchers used to wonder about rivers and how links related to rivers thinking that big rivers like the Tanana, mm-hmm. right in alaska that mm-hmm. the Tanana would be an obvious barrier for links but they'll swim back and forth across that thing there's not much they had some up in those areas dudes and it's just so it'd be so weird to think you'd be coming down a river and having a link swim across something like the Tanana. Mm-hmm. they would they would just go yeah they those things scooped they will go long distances. They'll disperse long distances. And no one They'll, ever sees them. 
Well, now that we've got callers on, though. <laughs> no, I'm saying, but it's like, when you see that, like, wait, how could you never, you know what I mean? Oh, oh, I You think of them mean, always yeah. hold up in some little thicket because you just go yeah. your whole life and don't lay eyes on sure, them. Sure, sure. You know? Yeah. I mean, they, when they, in my experience, unless you, you, you know, sort of come up right on them and, and you jump them, they'll just stand there and kind of look at you and hunker down and, and it's, it's really easy to miss them. So you, you've approached them wearing the collar when you've approached your collared cats. Um, not the ones that we have collared right now, but just being out there so much, I've come across a lot of lynx. Oh, you have? I mean, a lot for, for seeing a lynx. Oh, yeah. So you, okay. This is outside of ones that you've caught. Mm hmm. And outside the ones that you were guided to because you knew where they were because mm -hmm. they have a collar on, mm -hmm. you've bumped into lynx? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How many yeah. times? I don't know, a handful of times? Really? I Just bumped bu into them? I, yeah. I bumped into collared lynx, not using the telemetry, not trying to, but bumped into them. Um, I Summer before last, um, I had a cool sighting where I was I was hiking into the wilderness to to scout for deer season and I got to our camp and looked up and there was a lynx that sort what? of jumped away. Yeah, it was very cool. Uh, and it was actually kidding me, really? No, no. It was extra special oh. too because this was in I was in a new burn area, but I was in a, a fire skip and um Scouting for so... deer and there you saw one. Mm -hmm. Nothing to do with your research. No. No. Yeah. Yep. He's sure it wasn't a bobcat? <laughs> that was my question. I'm positive. I'm positive. I got the, I got the rear view and I saw that tail. Gotcha. Yeah. So you knew what you were looking at. Yeah. In an area where they got plenty of food, like what's a good lifespan? If they, like if they don't have some unfortunate mm, thing happen. Yeah, then. maybe seven years. Hmm. Seven hmm. or eight years. Yeah. How are you guys trapping them? This is good. Yeah. So this is this is what I love. Oh, can you put in whether Mercer Lawing ever told you anything helpful? We've st we've been talking a lot. Really? Yeah. He gets excited about catch a cat. Oh yeah, no, yeah. It's fun to talk with him because we both do. Yeah. All right, lay it out. How you catch one? Okay. Um. Let's see. So, like I said, there are maybe sixty in Washington. Our study area is, I don't know, maybe a hundred thousand acres. Um. So that's a lot of space. How many are in that study area? If you had to take a ballpark. If I had to take a ballpark, I mean, last year at this time when I was on the podcast, we hadn't started trapping. And I I would have been hopeful that there were maybe four or five. In 100,000 acres. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, now that we've got some links on air and spent, you know, I've spent three months tracking them out in that landscape. Um we know our, our collared lynx are contrary to what we thought might be happening, making their entire home range, their entire living within the burn, which that's mm. really cool because that says to us there's something about the configuration of this burn where there are fire skips, where there aren't, or maybe it's that there's places that are regenerating enough that that's actually at this point really rich habitat. Whatever it is, which is what we're going to find out, is making it so that lynx are living entirely within the burn. Got it. Instead of just ducking in there now and then. Exactly. So hundred thousand acres. And, yeah. And you're going to take a. You're going to take a. Like you do. You can do this too. You could be. I surprise. I'd be surprised if it was more than what. Okay, I'd be surprised if it was more than sixteen. Ooh. But I'd be surprised if it was less than nine. Because you guys trapped your asses off in Cow We trapped, honey. we caught, uh, 
we caught four in two months. Um, and then we got a bonus cat this fall, which was super exciting. How does one get a bonus cat? <laughs> well, okay. So I'll, I'll explain how we normally trap. So this is what we're doing to our, our official season. And this was how I was taught to trap lynx um, and have, how I've always done it. It's snowmobiling every single day. We're out there. We're riding around 100 miles a day. We're covering ground. And we're, um, we're looking for tracks. You get really good at snowmobiling and tracking at high speed. <laughs> mm-hmm. We're looking for you tracks. Know what, you, know what you, you know what you want to see. Exactly. And you start getting... Um, you know, an idea of, all right, I see tracks here regularly, or I see, and, and they're crossing, you know, a, a saddle here or crossing down a drainage here, crossing the road here, or they're just using this road as a corridor, or maybe this is good habitat and you can see where they're hunting along. They like to use roads and then they'll, they'll sort of pop over to the edge of the road. You'll see where they put their little butt down and sit and then, you know, they're, they're, they're looking for snowshoe hares hmm. and they'll do that along the road. So you know where they're hunting too. Once you find little honey holes, that you think are going to be good, then we set a trap. And our traps, are they're box traps. Um, we made them ourselves. They're made out of, this was not our invention, but it's it's just a cheap-er, cheap-ish <laughs> way to do this. Um, but it, it's a PVC pipe frame, and then we wrap it with chicken wire. Um, I had a local welder weld us up some some just thin metal frame doors, and that goes into a PVC pipe frame it slides up and down so it's Mm -hmm. a guillotine type door here's where it gets a little wacky um it sounds like a rube goldberg but it it works it works really well we've got in the back of the trap a little fishing line trip line so it's in the back quarter of the trap that fishing line goes spans spans the um let's see it it's such that when an animal goes in there and reaches for the bait that's behind it, they're they're going to hit it. Mm-hmm. Now that goes up to the top of the trap, that fishing line, where there's a mouse trap wired onto the trap. It's getting very Rube Goldberg. It very, yeah. Tied mouse traps with a little fake cheese. Mm-hmm. Tied, that's, that's the brand you like. That's the yes. <laughs> well, you tie the fishing line to the fake cheese. The door has paracord that is holding it up. That paracord goes back to the mouse trap. It's got a loop in the end. You got a razor blade yep. glued to the mouse trap bale. It's not quite that bad. <laughs> this is like the game mouse trap. <laughs> the, the the loop goes over the, the arm of the mouse trap so that when you set oh. the trap, it's it it doesn't make it go off. The 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 door is being held up by the rope that is being held in place by the set trap. And when a lynx or a bird or anything hits that that trip line, it it pulls the cheese down, trap goes off, releases, releases the, the door, the and it drops. Is that door weighted so it drops quick? Uh, it weighs enough just because it's got that metal frame. Oh, okay. Yeah. Everything in the design of our trap is also geared towards really making sure our animals are safe. So we don't want a super heavy door that should it go off early, Bang. it could, yeah. 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 What 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 uh what are you baiting and luring with? Oh, we're using all kinds of different lures, but I like to have um well, let's see. We're using roadkill deer. And the reason we're using roadkill deer is that it's usually readily available. Right now we're hurting for bait. We are desperate. Why not beaver meat? I've used that in the past and I love using that cuz it's got a nice smell, 
but our state vet advises not to just in case of disease transfer. Hmm. Um, and so we're, we're using. Cause they're going to get in there and eat that bait. Exactly. Yeah, I got you. And so, yeah, so I've, I've so used that meat. for, yeah, deer meat. So we're constantly on the lookout for roadkill. We've got a whole routine. I think everybody in our You got to community... hunt your own roadkill? Oh yeah. Well, we've, but we've got, our whole community is looking out for us cause we're, the, we're, we've posted it everywhere. We're, we're, we're desperate because like here in Bozeman, we haven't gotten a ton of snow. Uh-huh. So the deer haven't all pushed down to the valley bottom. You ever find anyone who's a little too good at getting deer meat? <laughs> I, I have been, Karma's like, been, I don't know. It's just another one jumped out in front of my truck. No, I'm, <laughs> we're getting so desperate that I'm like, good people. They need to drive faster or something. <laughs> um, yeah. So we're, we get calls right now and, and right now we're doing, we're desperate. We're going at any time of the day because it is cut throat right now really we've had roadkill competition oh my god we've had calls where somebody's like fresh roadkill corner of blah 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 this creek we zoom down there and it's gone people are salvaging for the meat and so oh, there's so it's few not other, it's not other researchers out there again, well but, there yeah. are some other researchers that we're that we're competing with mm-hmm. they're a wolverine project we've got a compromise though they can have the head because that's not super meaty but they like that for the wolverines because they can't it, just a little more of a um a puzzle and they have to work harder to get at that. So it lasts longer. I was, I was going to ask that, like what other predators are in the area that might be attracted to those trout, like Wolverines. Wolves, oh, I was going to ask lions. about Bob, Bob. Yeah. Bycatch for sure. But let her finish the bait yeah, and lure. Yeah. And then I want to get to Bobcat. Right. To bycatch. Yeah. You're using flagging. Oh yeah. CDs, wings. What do you use? Um, let's see. So we always do a little, a little eye catch. Um, I've used CDs, I like um, what we usually use now just because it's super easy is that flashing bird tape for mm-hmm. like you'd put up in an orchard. So you just hang a little of that. It flutters in the breeze really nice. Um, you know what someone told me recently drives him crazy? Bobcat's crazy. Is uh, He takes peacock feathers. Mm-hmm. This guy lives in a state where you can't use game bird parts. Mm-hmm. He takes peacock feathers and sticks them Ooh. just in because it's got that iridescence uh-huh. and the way they blow. He says it's like a magnet. <laughs> that thing I have to f- try that. You picture that little eye, that yeah. eye shape on a peacock feather, yeah, yeah. just flickering in the breeze. Yeah. He says it's like irresistible. <laughs> That's they awesome. gotta come one. They wonder what that thing is. Yeah. Well, we got new this year. Um, some little. I think they're they must be Christmas decorations or something. But it's shaped like an icicle, but it spins. Can you picture Yo, that? So it's, yeah. so it's flashy and it spins. We're gonna try those. It just I turn you on to a new product you might like. Oh, please do. Are you aware uh, Tom Miranda and someone else, they make this thing. You're not, they're not legal here. It's a mouse emitter, a mouse noise. Oh, a squeaker. Have you tried squeakers? Oh, we got squeakers. Oh. We got squawkers. You we guys got are high screamers. tech. <laughs> when you've got <laughs> nine, maybe 10 links on 10,000 acres that you're trying to catch. You're throwing the works at Oh, them. yeah. Big time. You ever worry that it gets a little too busy around your set? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I do. <laughs> and are you and using, then I are you using a commercial lure too? Yep, we buy lures. So the because what, what we, do you like to use for lure? We've got all kinds of stuff because, but, but I always like to have because we're using deer. I like to have some caster in there, and then gotcha. um, to appeal to you know territoriality or breeding, we've got you know squeeze bottles of lynx pee. Oh, oh. catnipy stuff. Dude, so you guys Mercer's got, you guys cage got magic. Oh. Pff. We've got a whole drawer. It's I, I'm a huge labeled sub- attractants. <laughs> well, we had to move. Um, so the long distance lures, we like something skunky. We'll put that up over the trap. Got it. And um, 
you know, like a lot of people, Gusto is a, a great brand of that, but it is potent. Me and Seth are messing with a little Gusto. Oh, yeah, you a little Gusto's Gusto. Good. Oh, yeah. hell yeah. I've huh. used that on, I mean, universally, that stuff is great. But, um, huh. It can be. So you're oh. all like, you're like, te- you're like all checked out. Oh my God. I mean, I, there's nothing, there's, you know, all the, like, all the, I, I just hear all, like, I'll talk to cat trap, bobcat trappers, and this yeah. is all stuff they bring up. So it's funny that you're like on to all these. Oh yeah, a little a little skunk is good, uh-huh, but yeah. we um that you can just you can order all of these things online, and it's usually not a problem. But the gusto you can smell, and I did have the post office once be like, mm, next time you order that, it'll be on the back porch. You're gonna have to go around for that. If you, if you want, <laughs> I have it here in the parking lot, and I'll happily give it to you. I have a bottle of skunk essence and beaver caster Ooh, blend mixed together. Did you fly or drive? I flew. Uh-huh. <laughs> that might be a little iffy. <laughs> yeah, we had a. We get so used to the smell that we don't smell it. But um, oh, you know what? Can I tell? Can I tell you something real quick that, uh-huh. I, that I didn't mention? How did I miss this, Corinne? We were recently telling a story about the world's greatest TSA agent who, instead of stealing people's knives, we couldn't tell where what oh, state yeah, this yeah. happens in. Instead of stealing people's knives, she instructs them to put them in the drop ceiling of the bathroom, and someone went up there to get their knife back, and there was several other knives up in the drop ceiling. This guy was talking about moving from Australia and he gets an, he's moving from Australia to the U S so he's trying to bring guns and ammo. I don't know why he didn't buy new ammo when he got here or new guns when he got here, but he's trying to move guns and ammo from Australia. And in Australia, they somehow tell him to put the ammo in a carry on. Mm. And he's like, that can't be right to the customs people. Like, no, you have to put it to carry on. So he gets in the Australian version of TSA has the confiscated from to be destroyed. He later gets to the U.S. and one of his bags is missing. One of his bags didn't make it. So he files for a lost bag. And then when the bag turns up, it has all of his ammo in it. Oh! Someone had taken pity on him, pulled his bag, put his ammo back in it and sent it along its way on a later flight. Rather than destroying the guy's ammo. Wow. Very civilized. Yeah, it's like, you know, on Christmas you do happy yeah. stories in yeah. the news. Good news. It's a heart warmer. Where mm-hmm. I buy gas, they have a thing. Uh, the pump plays you happy news stories. Cheddar news. You find yourself no, just standing that. around watching those for a while? <laughs> just filling no. your cup on good I mean, I'm annoyed. But there used to be this person called like Ava Menendez or something. Oh, and yeah. she'd tell you how to make like. That's on the you know, cheddar like you news. You get like a jar and put some marbles in there for decoration or whatever. Hmm. And then, um, or how to not be so stressed out. But today it was some dude telling happy news it was called good news i've just never noticed <laughs> that there was a i've never paid enough attention to notice that it's all good news it's called good news i've uh, just never paid enough attention to uh, realize that it's called well, good we news. scooped him because this would be good news about the guy's <laughs> ammo that's all yeah this remind me of that sure you yeah. taking my skunk scent home yeah could be problematic remind me of that you don't want to do that well i mean you know that thing that happened on that Alaska Airlines flight the other night? Ooh. I heard about that Imagine as I was boarding a plane. Blew up on a plane. <laughs> you know, they'd have to ground all them planes. Yeah, we uh we have an official office now right in downtown Winthrop, which is the town we we live in. Mm-hmm. And we were told we needed to put the uh the gusto outside because <laughs> you walk in and it smells like straight up yeah a hot box. In How there. do you get links you're in? F&T or Minnesota. They, they got it there. Oh, so, yeah. So it must be trappers up in the far north 
So yeah, it. I guess so. Hmm. We got all kinds. What do you guys pay? Is a, is a bottle of Lynx urine really expensive? It's not. Well, in the amounts that we're using it, it adds up. It seems the like lures. it's got to be like a really limited supply. I don't know how limited there. it is. Uh, yeah, I don't know. So you but buy it, it comes in a bottle. Comes in a bottle. Got to make sure it's, they often don't have good lids. And so we, everything usually smells like Lynx pee. you like the Lynx pee's here. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, yeah, so we've got squirt bottles of that, mix in a little glycerin so it doesn't freeze. Oh, oh yeah. Um, mm, you need to do that. Yeah, that's yeah, good. I, I, I got some glycerin on my keeps, counter. Keeps freezing. Yeah. It does? It keeps it from freezing, yeah. Yeah. Like, let's say you got, you know how they sell the urine pee comes in those bottles, like, yay, I don't mm-hmm. know what it's 10 ounces. Mm-hmm. How much glycerin do you put in there? I don't know. A Someone good amount? Does it? No, just, no, you just, you just buy it and you can mix it up. No, I'm saying, how much glycerin do you shoot in there? Oh, like I would a just. A tablespoon? No, more than that. Okay. I don't, yeah. Just depend. You just, yeah, I don't know. The other So you go to a I'll... trapper's supply house and buy glycerin too? You can, yeah, you can order it. I, no, I, do I have a online. bottle. I'm just curious how you guys do it. Oh, yeah, we just order it. The other Do they day, ever wonder what you guys are doing when you're ordering all this equipment? <laughs> no, but I we order enough that they they write us nice notes and give us free hats and stuff. And they're never like, <laughs> why are you, do you know you're not, do they never let you know, like, you know you're not allowed to trap links where you're at? Like, there's no sort They don't of, know we're trapping links. I mean, they, you Who know, do you use? F&T or Minnesota Trap Line. Mi- yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. We just go on there and try new things and all those I'm such a sucker all those descriptions you're like this is the magic bullet they make them so sound read so those good lure, you'll read those lure descriptions oh yeah and they all feel like this is the one I'm a total sucker so we got all kinds my of stuff my cat's tripled with yeah exactly I'm like great that's what I need so we've got all of our, our lures and we try to change those up uh-huh. um, but yeah always a, a caster some um, pee or lynx glands uh-huh. Are you using cameras plans. on your traps too? We uh, sometimes, not very often. We're just beating cheeks and running and gunning so much out there that we it would just often you don't want to fill like the camera too. Yeah, and you probably don't have cell service anyway, so no, you can't no. get cellular cameras. No, no. And do you get links that work the set but just never commit? Oh, that's the norm. Really? Oh my god! What do they want to do? Not go in the cage. They'll circle downwind or they'll even come up to the door or what? Like, what's the hang up for them? Various things. I mean, they'll, let's see. For example, we had a cat last year that we could not catch. We tried everything. We threw all sorts of things at him. We, um, you know, just, just different variations in our sets. And he would often twice a day. So we, we'd come on the line in the morning. There'd be fresh tracks of him walking by the traps you could tell he was spending enough time around there that he was checking them. He was checking out the scene. He certainly was not going in and poking his head in or anything like that. But would he, he get very on it? Close. No. Okay. He would, so he I knew do, that that thing was bad news. Yeah. And yeah. I, I like to, so when we, we, we put our, our trap in the snow, we sort of, you know, we pack snow around it. I like to make sure there's plenty of snow in the bottom so they're not feeling that chicken wire or anything funky. And then we put boughs along the side just to give it that sort of tunnel look, kind of, you know, like a cat likes a paper bag or something mm. that's going to be sort of um, exciting, but it also just keeps snow from blowing in and, and piling up in your trap, gives them a little thermal protection if they're in there. And then on the top, we've got a piece of clear plastic and that's again to protect the cat in case there's a, a thaw and it gets wet. We don't want them getting wet. Um, and then we pile boughs on that. And I, I like to make it so it would be unattractive for a cat to jump on top mm-hmm. because that would set off the trap. Yep. 
And worst case scenario would be, say there's a mom and kitten and mom's going in the trap mm. and then a kitten jumps on it and the door, you know, closes and spooks her. And then, then you're, you're 10 steps behind where you were. Yep. So yeah, I try to, to make it unattractive for them to, to jump on top of the trap. Um, but this, this cat would just sort of check it out, mosey on. We got, you know, camera footage of him just walking right past, just breezing on by. We, like not even stopping. He just comes through, but then takes off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like he's just walking by, maybe looks at it, but keeps going. Yep. And he was driving us nuts. Um, I got a little obsessed. And he he would then, we'd, we'd go out to the rest of our line, be out all day, be coming back, and there'd be fresh tracks. One of our- a In couple the daytime. Of, oh, yeah. yeah. A couple of our trappers saw him just sauntering down the road, right by one of our traps. Never could get him. Applying for tags each year in the West can be daunting. Yeah, I apply for everything everywhere. It's daunting. You have to go to a variety of sources to formulate your best guess as to where to apply. Well, this is a thing of the past now. Onyx just launched hunt research tools to simplify the process for all hunters. This tool helps organize the data that matters, makes comparing hunt options easy, and helps hunters develop a plan based on real metrics rather than gut feelings. OnX Hunt also offers all elite members a free digital membership to Hunt and Fool, who I use, for boots on the ground, insight and knowledge, and a membership to Hunt Reminder so you never miss another deadline. Stop stressing over application season and apply with confidence in 2024. Check out OnX Hunt Research Tools, free for all OnX Hunt Elite members. Not an elite member? Well, let's fix that. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt. This is an app I use literally every day. I use it for every aspect of hunting, scouting, trapping, you name it. Hey, I'm excited to share our newest sponsor here on the Meat Eater Podcast, which is Poncho Outdoors. The reason I'm excited is I buy their shirts anyways. I don't, I don't I, listen, man, I, I rarely go into stores to buy clothes. I like to, I just buy my stuff online. And I love their shirts. Max, that I work with, Max Bard, who comes on the podcast one day. I don't know if he sent me a link to this place. I went on and bought some shirts. Dude, they make some good shirts. And they even have an option where if you're like a skinny dude, you can click like the skinny dude thing and get like a whole different cut of the shirt. It's great. Based in Austin, Texas, Poncho is committed to crafting the world's best outdoor shirts for men. They got it started out with a lightweight fishing shirt. Now they make all kinds of other lines. Western, denim, flannel, corduroy. Better fitting, not not all baggy. Better performing because they got modern fabrics with some stretch and breathability, and way comfortable. Poncho is only sold on their own website, so head over to ponchooutdoors.com. Use code Meat Eater for a free hat or T-shirt with any purchase of a shirt. Poncho offers free shipping and returns, so you can try them out risk free. Hey man, after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything, it's that there is always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, well, what's the catch? But it turns out there isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores 
and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash eater. That's mintmobile.com slash eater. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash eater. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. That brings me to our bonus cat this fall. Uh-huh. We had maybe a little bit of a vendetta, and we um, we were like um, Moby Dick. He was our, mo- our, our white whale. So we... Um, decided to do just a little bonus trapping. And so this fall, before the snow even flew, I went out there and I I wanted to condition him to the traps. And this is a technique that is used in cougar trapping and, and bobcat trapping for research, but I'd never used it for length. And so I, I took um, a full quarter, so a nice big chunk of meat. I drilled a hole in the bone, cabled it, and staked it down. So nothing could come. Wolves That's couldn't come trick. and take it. Cable it through the bone. Yeah. I didn't want, because bears were still oh, yeah, out. Sure. I didn't want somebody dragging it off. Yeah. So I staked that sucker down. Then I set uh, a trap maybe six feet away. Not it w- The door was tight open. It was just there and ready to go. So the idea was a lynx could come, start nibbling on that bait, get a little taste for what we've got, and get used to the trap being there. Mm-hmm. And we had a camera on it. So I, I set... Four of those stations in this area where I knew this this lynx went a lot. Three nights later, I checked the camera and he'd come and started eating that bait. Hmm. And so, what else showed up on that bait? Um, gray jays, nothing okay. else. Got it. So I moved it closer to the trap, so that part it was partly in the door. Mm. Waited. He didn't. He came back, ate some of that. I was like, oh, buddy, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's on. And uh, within a week, we probably could have done it faster, but we were, it just worked out that within like a week and a half, he was eating bait that was in, in the middle of the trap. And then once I saw that that night, I put at all the bait stations, meat in the back of the trap. And he came that night and um, we caught him just the first night that the traps were actually set. Mature cat. Oh, Beautiful. Big old cat. Biggest cat we've caught in Washington. He was 31 pounds. You pelted him out. (laughs) (laughs) No, he was a beautiful, just really nice cat. I mean, just holding his How old do you think he was? He wasn't that old. Maybe three to five. It's really hard. We age them just based on how much uh, wear they have on their uh-huh. teeth, but it's it's rough. It's really hard to tell. But he wasn't an old grandpa by any means. And you fitted him with a collar? Put a collar on him, and he's out and about. Did he just get the hell out of town when you let him go? No. No, really. He um. So we we let him go. He jumped out of the trap and then just stopped and then just sauntered off. But his ass is never going back in a trap now. Well, <laughs> here's the thing: the first lynx will and and other animals too will get trap happy, where they realize. <laughs> oh, they're like that wasn't that bad. Yeah, they're like hmm, okay, I can <laughs> got a good go meal in, out of it. Yeah, exactly. I can go in that trap, get a pound or two of free meat. Uh-huh. They'll come and let me go in the morning. <clears throat> 
So we had what? the first. It doesn't just burn. I've done worse for a good no. meal. <laughs> no, they. I mean, it's it makes sense. The the first cat that we caught. Yeah, but imagine how scary it's got to be when a person shows up. It's worth it. Apparently, mm. I mean, that's a lot of meat, and it's there every night. And if you let them out early, they can go to another trap for that afternoon. <laughs> We've had that happen. Trap. That's what that's I like. Great. How it like. <laughs> That that cat was real hard to catch. Is there other cats you've just caught over and over again? Or? Right. So the first. Oh yeah, links, I remember you telling me you had one you can't keep away, right? Right. The first <laughs> links that we caught last winter, he was like that. He he was his personality was such that he was just not as cautious, and he went right in the trap. I think probably the first time he saw one of our traps, he went in. He ate the bait. We came the next morning. We processed him. We let him go. And I don't remember how long later, but he figured it out. And then from then on, it was almost every morning he'd be in a trap and we'd have to let him go. And so we, <laughs> but He's getting is, all fat. He's going to start following you home. He he's got like was. rolls of fat Yeah, on no, his he forehead. hears our snowmobile come and he's like, oh, they're setting a new trap over there. I got to check that out. So we we had to just start ripping traps out of his home range as fast as seriously, we could. yeah, because it was you might something might happen to him eventually, right? Well, I guess there could be some risk of that, but we're really careful. Um, but he was, I mean, he was just bunging up our trap mm-hmm. line, and because his, he's collecting data now. And so he was his he was ruining his data. His data we had to throw useless. that. His out. data was the like your was, deer bait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. if we run an analysis, it'd be like, well, links like trap lines and traps. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So we try not to let it come to that, but he's, he's kind of putting a wrench in our, our game this year because there's a female that he overlaps with uh-huh. that we've gotten on camera that we'd love to trap, but it's kind of a no go zone because he, we know he's just going to be, Oh, he'll just plug it all up. Yeah, exactly. Have you ever, okay. There's the by there's bycatch. So yeah. I want you to do bycatch. Okay. I want you to do what the differences you see in how these things move and what they're doing mm-hmm. once you get a collar on them. Mm-hmm. There's another thing I wanted to ask. About. I want to know many, what what they got to worry about, like as far mm-hmm. as predators. Oh yeah, well, yeah, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. So bycatch, how they're acting, and then when you get them, when you get a collar on, they die. What are they dying from? Yeah. And how um, many do you have collared? Right now we have three on air. Okay. Yeah. On air. Yeah, collared. Little... Collared. Collars are functioning. They're giving us data. Yeah. 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 So I already forget the first one. Sorry. Bycatch. 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 Who all okay. turns up in your traps? We get a lot of gray jays. Um, they that, get in there? They get I in there. I guess they'll walk in there, yeah. They'll wa- oh, yeah. yeah. And then once they find a trap, they can be kind of a pest. Um, but that that is one of the drawbacks of our trigger system, that mousetrap system, is that it's so sensitive mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, a gray jay goes in there and, and they're setting the yep, trap off. Yep. Um, weasels go in there certainly, but they can get out. There's enough, you know, they can just squeeze out. But they throw the door first. Sometimes they're also so short they often go under. Got it. Under the trip line. Um, we get snowshoe hares. I've had. What are I've, they after? Just whatever. Uh, well, they'll eat the boughs off of our traps, but they also just—it's a little hiding spot, Got so it. they'll go in there. Yeah. Um, I've caught a snowshoe hare in a trap, and then it was just being circled. By a lynx trying to get at that. <laughs> what? Really? Yeah. So that is, that, that kind of makes you want to vomit. Yeah. That's, that's a that's... rough night, man. Yeah. yeah. Um, so did you add him to the bait pile or did you let him go? <laughs> we let him go. You did? Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see. But more exciting bycatch, we, we caught a bobcat last year, which I was surprised it didn't break out of that trap because they're 
That was what Mercer was saying because he's used to Bobcats. Right. I remember he was say, when I first connected you guys, he was saying that he was worried that that wouldn't hold them. And you were saying, well, lynx are chill compared. Like they don't fight the trap. Right, you right. Know? Yeah. And I, so Bobcats and lynx are pretty, have pretty different um, personalities for lack of a better word, where Bobcats are just, I call them flying demons because especially in like a, a foothold, they are just going nuts. Mm-hmm. Their stress response is the fight or flight. And in a box trap, you know, they're all over the place. And they'll, I've had them bust out of, you know, manufactured all metal traps. Um, Did links, you put a collar on the Bobcat you caught? No. So no, one, not wanted, no one wanted that? No. no. Um, links tend to go into freeze as their stress response. They'll they'll test the walls of the trap a little bit, but they're not they're not working hard on getting out. Mm-hmm. And so they'll tend to just sort of hunker down a little bit more in the trap. So that's why we can use these traps. I would not use them for any other type of cat. Yeah. Wolverine's gonna be out of there in a heartbeat. Oh, in a second. Yeah. yeah. A fisher would be out of there in a second. Have you caught those? We actually did so we, you know, or almost caught one or whatever? Um, well, I've, I've caught them a lot, lynx trapping in, in other areas okay. in Maine. Um, here, very surprising because we don't have technically on the east slope of the Cascades in our area a, a population of fisher, but we did catch one. Luckily, it wasn't in one of our chicken wire traps. We were borrowing some, some um, manufactured traps, and it was in one of those. So that mm. was pretty exciting to have Added him to the bait pile. <laughs> Definitely not. Yeah. What about Martin? Um, I have caught lots of Martin. Either we're not catching Martin in our traps or they're getting out. I think we're not catching them because again, we're in a burned area. So there's not a ton of Martin. Got you. Yeah. 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 Um, let's see. Other bycatch. That's, that's no red foxes. Nope. We also barely, if any, have those. And no coyotes. No. A canid is going to be, they're not, they do not want to go into a box trap. Yep. They're way too wary. They'll sn- they'll, they might pass through, but they're not going to put their head in there. Yeah. 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 I've had now bobcat trapping. I've had, I've had cougars go into the traps, but they're so big that the door just falls on their butt. Only back out. Yeah. And they just back out, <laughs> okay. but they can be, they yeah. can be a problem. And you're doing most of your trapping after the bears have denned up, so they're not yeah. trash in your traps. Yeah, that's a big part of why we trap in winter, yeah. so we're not having to deal with that. Um, now this fall, I was willing to sacrifice a, a trap or two if if we were going to catch this. Meant we were going to mm. catch this lynx. Um, yeah. So, so what are you seeing on on like anything surprising and how they're used, how far they're going, or like that you let them go and they kind of hang out. In, in the immediate vicinity right. or they, they go to the next state or what do they do? Uh, I mean, what's been surprising to me uh, is, like I said, that they're not moving that far, that they're making home ranges entirely within this burn. And so far, I mean, it's we only have three you know cats on air, but so far they are not giant home ranges, mm-hmm. which could indicate that it's decent habitat. They're not having to go super far. This this burn is big enough that as we sort of move our trap line north, maybe the conditions are different up there and m- maybe it won't be the same story, but at least the links we have on air right now are making a pretty tight home range, which when, is cool. When do they rot? When do, what, what's their breeding Red, season? Uh, March, February, and then okay. they, they have kittens May, June. Have you, um, maybe it probably doesn't work. If you had a female... And then at that time, and you knew where they were, it might be plausible that 
there'd be like more like more males in that area or is that not that that's not something that really factors in oh like if we saw like she's like a, a judas she winds up being like a judas animal right like that with her right. you know that in her zone there's gonna be cats coming through yeah i mean they all move so much um if i knew where a female was i'd, I'd certainly be setting traps there anyway because we want to get female cats on air you want to have Males are all and is it all males on air on air right now? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You don't have right any females. They males are more apt to go in a trap Got in it. general. In general. So have you had any cats get a mortality signal? Have you had any cats die while while collared? Yeah, and that was a bummer because it was the one female that we caught last year. Okay. So Got we you. caught a female, and it was a really cool handling. It was just, um, you know how some times when you're hunting there's there's a deer you get that just feels special because of everything around it mm -hmm. the scenery the day the whatever um this was kind of one of those those moments with this cat we um we caught this female lynx and she had a, a kitten with her and this was in march and so this kitten is you know pretty almost full grown it's almost and the kitten's year. outside of the trap it's outside of the, the trap. females in yeah and so um i was Right in my snowmobile, checking the line, checking the line, and I'm looking up at the next trap, and I just see it wiggle a little bit, and I just jam on the brakes, and I go up there, and and there's this female lynx in the trap, um, and I can see kitten footprints around it where he's been, you know, trying to be close to her, and um, as I was waiting for the rest of the team to to meet me to do the handling and collaring, I heard. And saw that that kitten was kind of checking in with her, and he was just sitting up on a hill above her. Plus, it was just this making what noise? It's like a little sort of bird, little like make the noise. Oh, <laughs> can it's you kind of what we do around here? <laughs> I'll do it till I get it right. Okay. Mm, no, more like, uh, more like. Yeah. Got it. Now, they make some real ugly noises. This was probably one of the cuter noises they make. But in general, <laughs> no. In general, they sound like they're throwing up or something. They kind of make this yowling demon noise. When you got them cornered? Mm, nope. Just talking to each other. Oh, you'll hear it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Um. Anyway, so. Hit me with the ro the demon noise. It's like. Bleh. Oh, is that right? Like that That weird. Yeah, it's weird. Okay. It's not. Yeah. It's not a cute cat noise like someone wouldn't be like that must be a lynx if no they heard you'd it. be like what was that <laughs> I got yeah i got you <laughs> um there's some some cool youtubes where you can hear them oh, talking. okay i see yeah. yeah uh anyway so i'm sitting there i'm alone with this with this cat i'm i'm at a distance we like to try and keep them as calm as we can because it just it's a better experience for them the drugs works better um everything just goes better if they're calm so i'm a distance away but it's this cold beautiful snowy high mountain day this sort of meadow with a creek in it and then these um you know trees and burnt trees along the side of it it's snowing it was it was just one of those moments mm. um and then we you know the crew arrived we we processed this cat and um when we can you uh, can just for the audience can you go like quick rundown of what processing is sure. like blood samples yeah. or flesh it, it and stretch it well yeah flesh and stretch it baby uh, <laughs> so when we're handling any wildlife species it's our professional responsibility and our um our ethics to do it in the most humane way possible yeah and you're um, dealing with a 
you're dealing with a federally yeah. threatened species yeah. too, right? Exactly. So, and yeah. so we baseline whenever, no matter what species we're trapping, we have a really high bar for how we do things and how we try to minimize stress and obviously minimize risk and all of that. Because can, I tell you, this can, I, can I interrupt you real quick? Yeah. Sorry. A friend of mine was doing dock banding, and I don't want to tell you who said this, but he was doing dock banding, and his boss told him, if you're not killing birds, you ain't working hard enough. That's ducks. <laughs> that, no one's going to tell you that in your lynx area. No one's going <laughs> to tell you that a, in the lynx area. It was just a funny area. thing that he remembers being told because he was like very, they were doing those nets mm-hmm. and everything was very dainty. And the guy's like, listen, we got to get some birds banded here. Like there's going to be some. Yeah. I mean, I think I get the the gist of what he was saying, but I, I think there's a little bit of a tide change. No, 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 no. I'm not giving you professional advice. I was just observing, <laughs> I was just observing that. I'm yeah. just remarking on oh, that. Okay, yeah. um, and standing up for the wildlife profession. I, I think that we're getting a little less, um, we're getting more thoughtful yeah, okay. about these things and refining techniques. Um, so anyway, we, we have a really high bar of how we do things and um, animal safety and all this. So everything we do is geared around minimizing stress. So when we do a handling, it's, it's all whispering. It's, it's all reading the cat's body language, using our body language to seem as minimally aggressive and threatening. And so when we've got a cat in the trap, first thing we do is we put a big sheet over the trap. That just helps calm the cat. It just cuts down on visual stimulation. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we have to drug the cat um, or we can't handle it. Uh, so the way we're doing that is we've got, um, it's called a syringe pole. It's a, it's a pole and on the end of it is a plunger. And you you put your your drugs in a syringe, but the pole is now the plunger, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So that when you... Oh, yeah. So that when you... You, give it a, you push on it a little bit. Yep. You... you you wait until the cat's in the right position. You want to get it ideally in its butt, mm-hmm. right in its haunch and that meat there. And you just, you slowly bring it in the trap and you just poke it in the butt and just push a little bit and that's it. And what's that drug? We are using a mix of ketamine and metatomidine. Hmm. And so what that does is, is puts the- Puts in the K-hole. That's the puts it in the K-hole. <laughs> but you, you don't want to use just straight ketamine because it's a really, it makes them really rigid. There's risk of seizure and, huh. and different side effects. Um, it's, it's a very safe drug, but we can do a little bit better and give them a, a more relaxed yeah. uh, sedation. And, and are they out-out or just groggy? They are out-out. Okay. You want them out-out. I mean, think about if, if you were going to get an ear tag and be- Hand, handled by you know this alien species you'd want to be out out no memory yeah yeah you want to be out so we we drug them and they are unresponsive um you know you could you could you know do surgery on them if that's what you were doing mm-hmm. obviously we're not you drug them you bring them out of the trap once they're ready um again it's always just minimizing that stress and so we're, we put an eye mask on them and we're minimizing even like touching it because that's just more stimulation. And if if they are more stimulated, the drugs don't work as well. They've got to burn through more stress. And so the last thing you want is your cat waking up before you're ready. And so we're doing everything to just make that a smooth, calm ride for the cat. Um, and so the the handling, what we're doing is the, the primary goal is to get this GPS collar on them. Mm-hmm. They're little collars that will take a GPS point on collection days every 30 minutes. 
and that shoots up to space and then shoots down to my computer. And so every couple days I'll get an update of what that cat's been doing. So that's our primary goal. But And that thing eventually falls off or what? Yeah, they have a little release mechanism that you can program that does a tiny, tiny little like explosion, but on a micro scale. Yeah. And it just parts the the piece that's holding it together and it'll drop off. Really? Yeah. So February. You, you could go grab it if you want. Exactly. To. Yeah. So February 2nd, hopefully that's what we'll be doing. That's when our, our, our collars will drop off. Really? Yep. Huh. Coming right up. Coming right up. Yeah. Huh. Um, so it's getting the collar on, but you're also, you're, you're, you've got this cat that needs, um, you know, it doesn't, the, the drugs can depress their respiration and temperature and things like this. And so you're having to regulate and make sure that, that the cat's safe. And so the is, other. Is that collar valuable? You need to go get it because it's valuable or you just go get it because of. Um, we will theoretically have had all the data on it, but it's just another way to get it. You can have them refurbished. Doesn't save you that much money, but yeah, they are expensive. But, but going and getting it doesn't, it's not like a financial reason to go get it. Not really. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, so during the handling, a really important job is to be monitoring temperature, respiration, heart rate, you know, these sorts of things so that if things start to drift out of, you know, a, the the correct zone of temperature, heart rate, and respiration, we can correct that. And you have a drug that'll, that helps with that? Like, let's say you OD'd it on accident. That's really unlikely. The it drugs we use have a, they have a huge safety margin. I see. We're not yeah. going to OD it. Yeah. yeah. But there are drugs, um, it, you know, there's, there's different things that could happen. For example, I had a bear, and this is more common in bears for whatever reason with some drugs, where the, the breathing got a little too shallow mm-hmm. and interrupted for my comfort. I had a drug with that, just gave it a little bit of that, boom, started breathing well. So we we, we have tools for um, these common things that might go wrong. We've got drugs for if they have a seizure, things like that. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, if it's temperature, it's it's putting snow in its armpits. Yeah. Or if it's Also getting, to get too hot. Yeah, if it gets it. too hot. If it gets too cold, we've got... We've got, um, we always have them in blankets on a, on a uh, foam pad. Um, we have, if they get really cold, we have socks and we can put little hand warmers in there and put socks on all of its feet. So we're prepared for, for a lot. Um, but these things, you know, hopefully by keeping that stress level down, um, that's one really good way to make sure things are just smooth and steady. Are you also taking samples for like DNA, genetics, disease, stuff like that? Or we're not taking blood. We're not. We're not looking at disease. If we had a cat that something seemed wrong, we'd certainly take a lot of notes about that. If it had an unusual parasite load, we'd probably collect that. Mm. Um, and we, you just know that from scat analysis. Um, like how would you know if it had a parasite load? Well, if you see them. They oh. sometimes have tapeworms or if they had oh, an exorbitant amount of ticks or fleas or lice or something like that, yeah. we'd probably collect that. Got it. Um, we do collect DNA. So when we give them a um, ear tag, we first, rather than just jamming the ear tag through, you take a little biopsy punch and it makes a little hole. And then we've got a, that little tissue sample. Hmm. So collar, a couple DNA samples. No tattoos. No tattoos. No need for that. Um, we're not pit tagging. Um, what's the ear tag for the ear tag is so that if it, if it shows up on a camera, you might be able to read that number. It's also got my phone number on it. So if somebody finds its carcass, Mm -hmm. they could call us and we'd know what was going on years down the road. You know, if it's, if the collars come off and we retrap it, we, we know who it is. You know, you never finished what you were saying, the, the female. 
Oh, yeah. That you don't have on, it's no longer on air. Right, right. So, right, yeah. So I was describing what a cool handling that was. And we let her go. And there was this just incredible moment of getting to watch her and her kitten reunite and, and you know, go off. And we're ecstatic about this because now we've got a female lynx using the burned area. And and to know what habitat a, f- a female lynx is using is really, that's just gold because they're the ones reproducing. And so mm-hmm. if if a, if there are things we can learn about how, how to support a female lynx, all the better. So we're really excited about that. We're really hopeful that maybe we'll see where she's denning um, and, and be able to learn about that type of habitat. Um, anyway, a month later, these callers, if they stop moving for eight hours, will give a mortality signal. And, and that pushes an email to me. So I wake up Sunday morning, check my email, and there's a, there's a mortality email. What's the subject line? It might have been the number and mortality or something. Yeah, it comes something in that, an email. Yep, comes in an email and just makes your <laughs> we stomach We regret turn. to inform you. <laughs> yeah. Such a weird email, right? Yeah, it's not one you want. Um, I mean, mortalities are fascinating. No, I got you, but just the delivery mechanism of an email. Yeah. Seems, yeah. yeah, they don't they don't sugarcoat it or, no one or knocks try to at pad the door. that. No, no. <laughs> so I, um, I shoot out there. Our season has ended, but there's still a ton of snow. And I, I went out there with a, a biologist colleague and friend, and it was just kind of a harrowing adventure to get to this spot. Um, but once we got there, we, um, we were a little bit hamstringed because her collar was not transmitting a VHF, which that's the little radio beep, beep that you can hone in okay. on. Yeah. It wasn't, it's not worth explaining, but it wasn't on that day. So we we get to the area where we know she is ish, and how it's, big how big is this? Um, maybe a two hundred meter okay. radius. Yep. But if there's snow on top of her, or if she's in a hole or something, those GPS points that that she was spitting could be pretty off. Mm-hmm. Plus, it has just snowed that night into the morning, and so. We we get to this spot. We'd had a hike a bunch on the the um, the snowmobile trail. She's not very far from the snowmobile trail, but she's down in a little meadow with a creek in this burned area. And like I said, there's a fresh blanket of snow, and that right there is is devastating for mortality site investigation because so much of the of what you're learning is from track mm. and sign that you're seeing around. Yeah. We're not going to have that. We start hiking down this this creek um and there was a coyote that had gone through and it had must have been sometime that morning because there wasn't much snow in its tracks those are the only tracks we're we're seeing we sort of note that um we get to the area where we think she is ish and and it's just there's zero sign of anything i put my bag down sort of sort of rummaging around and um uh the the guy i'm with thinking about those coyote tracks and he's starting to circle and he sees those coyote tracks he cuts them and he thinks i should just follow those tracks and within very very quickly he saw where those tracks had gone up to where a big log had fallen but picture feet and feet in snow of snow and there's snow on the log and it's sort of draping over the log and so it's the snow cave with a little crack of space along the side of it and then the front of it you could see down Mm-hmm. into the snow cave. The coyote had come 
and stuck its head down in that little cave opening. Mm -hmm. And so that prompted him to also look in that cave opening. And that's where she was. So he saw, what he saw was um, the lynx, I wouldn't say curled up, but sort of flopped over a bit. Dead. Um, dead. Yeah, dead. And um, it looked as though she had intentionally gone under there to die. Um, and so we we pulled her out and she was completely frozen. Mm -hmm. um, and we did an examination there. There was a slight abrasion on her face. That was all we saw. And so we, and, and like I said, there were no other track in sight. We couldn't backtrack to see, you know, and where the coyote just from. looked in there. Just looked in there and moved on. That was mm -hmm. it. So we thought nothing obvious here. This isn't a predation event. Um, you know, we're not there. We have no clues other than she seemed to intentionally go under that log. And that always makes you think disease mm -hmm. when they, they, you know, have sort of curled up in an intentional spot and just died. So we um, put her in my backpack, hiked her out. And then I shipped her to um, a lab to do a necropsy because they can do all the pathology and, you know, test yeah, for different yeah. diseases. Turns out they didn't have to do that. They, they skinned her out and in their examination found that cause of death was blunt force trauma. And so she had some broken ribs and some bleeding internally. Um, and that's all we know. And we can speculate about how that may have happened, but we don't know. One idea is that because this was only about, you know, 400 yards from the snowmobile trail, she could have been hit. Um, mm. They're not, it, it, that has happened before in other states that we know of. They get hit by cars. People, you know, rip around up there. Um, so that's one idea. Got it. Or, you know, you can come up with any number of other sort of freak accidents that could have done Like it. what? Not... Got hit by not bit. They feel like it, there they were, were no puncture wounds. I see. No puncture wounds. Um, I don't know. If a snow corn is broke that it was standing on and it fell on a rock, or mm -hmm. um, hmm. I don't know, kicked by a moose, which seems really unlikely to me, but that's been floated. Um, that's not that wild. Some people. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I just you know one time we uh killed a mule deer. Mm -hmm. And its whole underside was totally infected, and it was full of porcupine quills. Oh, yeah. Oof. Like, what is the scenario? It was jump. It walked over a porcupine, and the porcupine, flap. Yeah, probably. So just weird. You know what I mean? I, yeah, weird okay, stuff happens. Only being that, like, who knows, man? Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Who I've knows? seen some weird stuff yeah. out there. So, you, yeah, you don't. It could have been anything. But um, anyway, that's all we'll know. So she. That's it. So we got a, a month of data from her, hmm. and that was it, unfortunately. I'm hoping... Um, let's see, later that season, we, we caught a lynx kitten. And when I say kitten, you know, it was almost a year old, mm -hmm. but it was, it was too small to call her. So we gave it an ear tag and sent it on its way. I don't know for sure. We don't have the DNA yet, but it was in her zone. That may have been her kitten. And so it will be interesting oh. to see if he shows up this winter, if he made it through his, you know, the rest of his, yeah. his year. Um, having prematurely lost his mom. Um, yeah, we'll see. Man, I could see that having a female and finding out what she does around denning season would be cool as hell. Yeah. Dens are, lynx dens are, are really cool. And that's... What having, are they like, rock, cra like cracks and rocks or... They will use a lot of different things. They often are in mature forests where there's lots of down logs, just mm -hmm. 
total jackstraw, and they'll find a gnarly spot in there because that's going to protect them from um, cougar, or probably not cougars, but wolves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they'll they'll find a gnarly spot in these just giant piles of logs yeah. and go into there. I've seen them in hollowed out stump, rock crevices, slash piles, yeah. uh, in cut areas, upturned root wads. They just they need a nice bit of cover. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be really cool to have that. Yeah. How much do they got to worry about cougars and wolves? They have to worry about cougars. Yeah. They have to worry about cougars, places where there's lots of fishers. That's been- um, Fishers will kill them? Oh, yeah. Hmm. The mature yeah. ones? I've been to several- A fisher can outduke a- They can, I mean, come on. It's a they're weasel. Little, yeah, they're weasels, man. <laughs> Losing a lot of respect for lynx here. <laughs> a, fisher, a fisher can whoop a lynx. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I've been to several more lynx mortalities where it was a fisher, and one I can what? remember in particular. They can whoop a porcupine. Yep. So can a lynx or a bobcat. The, the lynx will be able to do it. Yeah, I, that's not a normal prey item, but they, but could. they can do it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've seen where a lynx was curled up in the snow, and then you see the fisher tracks come, and it basically just jumped it in its bed. Huh. They are when you God, see man, them, and they they liquors. <laughs> Links look big. A lot of that's just lankiness, and they're they're so fuzzy, especially in the summer. Their average weight is the same as a, a bobcat, pretty much. They're just lankier. They're just yeah. lankier um, and fuzzier. They look like something that if it got a little bit of blunt force trauma, it's not going to live. Yeah, you when you because just when, like they're like they're just so spread out and slender and yeah, you know, they're they're pretty like not meant dainty. to take a hit. You yeah. Know? When you pick one up, it's like, whoa, this is like a little bird. I mean they're meant to float on the snow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're not they climbers. Like they don't go into trees much, right? They'll go into trees, they but do. it's not like a daily thing by yeah. any means. Yeah. Yeah. They're more of they'll just bed right in the snow in some cover. Yeah. And they don't throw it they don't throw any claw mark on a track, right? Just like a regular cougar bobcat. Like they their claws are retracted. Um well I mean, like any felid, yeah, their their claws retract, and so often, most often, probably, you're not going to see their their claws register. But if they're in slippery substrate, um, and they need a little extra grip, they'll pull. Oh, you'll see it come out. Oh yeah, yeah. In fact, the, that huh. track, that picture you were talking about earlier, where there was a snowshoe hair tracks and the lynx going after it, it was going up a steep bank, and you can see its its claws. Oh really? Came out. So you yeah. chained they'll up click them out. Just... Yeah, it's like that guy in his toenails. Climbing up the tree. John Newbanks. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You use them when you need them. The single most valuable tool I have for chasing turkeys next to my scatter gun is the Onyx Hunt app. If I'm hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. If I'm not hunting turkeys, I'm using Onyx. I'm always using Onyx. I live by that stuff. I can't tell you the number of birds this app has put me on by allowing me to easily find new areas to hunt. It's invaluable. I use it all the time. Even properties I know super well. And I'm at my buddy Bubbly Doug's house. I'm using Onyx, and I've hunted this place a million times. With their compass mode, I can pinpoint exactly on the map where a gobble rang out from and then figure out the perfect spot to set up. Meaning, if I'm sitting there, let's say I'm at Bubbly Doug's, and I'm in the navel, and I hear, Pow! I'll like instinctively pull up Bubbly Doug's place on on X and I'll look at the topography and I'll be like, oh, that sucker must be over in that little opening over there. Waypoints also, and the ability to share them, okay, comes in handy every spring. Whether that's revisiting old waypoints where I've been on birds before or sharing them 
to buddies to help put them on birds. This app will help you find more turkeys. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you, too. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this turkey season. Hey, I'm excited to share our newest sponsor here on the Meat Eater Podcast, which is Poncho Outdoors. The reason I'm excited is I buy their shirts anyways. I don't, I don't I, listen, man, I, I rarely go into stores to buy clothes. I like to, I just buy myself online and I love their shirts. Max that I work with, Max Bard, who comes on the podcast one day. I don't know if he sent me a link to this place. I went on and bought some shirts. Dude, they make some good shirts. And they even have an option where if you're like a skinny dude, you can click like the skinny dude thing and get like a whole different cut of the shirt. It's great. Based in Austin, Texas, Poncho is committed to crafting the world's best outdoor shirts for men. They got it started out with a lightweight fishing shirt. Now they make all kinds of other lines. Western, denim, flannel, corduroy. Better fitting. Not not all baggy. Better performing because they got modern fabrics with some stretch and breathability. And way comfortable. Poncho is only sold on their own website. So head over to ponchooutdoors.com. Use code MEATEATER for a free hat or t-shirt with any purchase of a shirt. Poncho offers free shipping and returns, so you can try them out risk-free. Man, I'm just coming back uh, not too long ago from youth turkey season in Wisconsin. Now, last year at youth turkey season, it rained and snowed the whole time. This year at youth turkey season, it was in the 70s and even up to 80. So me and my kids are pouring it to it. And after a while, I realized I didn't drink anything all day, and they haven't drank anything all day. Well, that's why it's important to get hydrated and have something you're going to like to help you, encourage you to get hydrated. doesn't matter. Outdoor events, turkey hunting, playing sports, beach days, mountain adventures. Summer requires extraordinary hydration that's built for everyday dehydrating moments. With three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, plus eight vitamins and nutrients in a single stick, it's clear why Liquid IV is the number one powdered hydration brand in America. Tear, pour, live more. One stick plus 16 ounces of water hydrates better than water alone. I'll say that again. Hydrates better than water alone. Turn your ordinary water into extraordinary hydration with Liquid IV. Get 20% off your first order of Liquid IV when you go to liquidiv.com and you use code MEATEATER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code MEATEATER at liquidiv.com. Yeah. So what... uh. Where, tell me where Home Range Wildlife is right now. So you have a nonprofit. Yeah. And this is all done as a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. The nonprofit has employees. You're yep. one of the employees at mm-hmm. the nonprofit. Yeah. What is, uh, you know, we've kind of followed you through your career a little bit. Yeah. Um, Are you guys like in, in we're going to make it? Is it, you don't know what you're going to be doing in five years? We know what we want to be doing in five years. Yeah. We've got, you know, all sorts of plans yeah Um, i mean is is home range wildlife viable we are according to the little like non start you're starting a non-profit take this quiz with your board to see where you're at according to that so you're starting a non-profit yeah yeah um we are still in the struggle phase which basically means we are i mean it's hard work we are having to hustle big time for money yeah oh yeah big time so we're it's not like we're just cruising financially. We're in the hustle phase, but that is not stopping us. How from many employees doing you got? So right now, there's three of us that are full time. Mm-hmm. Um, so co-founder and I, um, and a super badass um, 
woman who who started on the Lynx project, and we've just we've kept her on. Uh, and then we've got seasonal techs. So mm. we've got some seasonal techs. Um, we wrap community scientists into our work. So we've got community scientists that will go out and help with the backtracking portion. So we um, part of the study is not just coloring. It's also going out and tracking links and recording their exact, really fine-scale habitat use. Yeah, you explain that backtracking because you don't want to bump them. Exactly, yeah. Backtracking ain't as fun as forward tracking. <laughs> well, you're less likely to see the animal. Yeah, but I know, man, yeah. <laughs> it is still fun. It no, is I can like, picture it, but you know, you kind of want to be like, well, let's just go after it and see if yeah, we can see it, right? Well, but then we're messing up the data, sure, right? Yeah. yeah, and then you spook it. And exactly. Yeah. Um, it and starts like, evading you. Right, yeah. and so part of what we're looking at also is from reading the tracks, um, what they're doing behaviorally, mm -hmm. because that can help us figure out, okay, of the habitats that they'll use for various things, where are they hunting? Where are they trying to hunt? Where are they actually making kills? Yep. Where they're hunting and they're successful, that is like the best of the best habitat. When they kill a snowshoe, do they mop that whole thing up or do they leave something behind? They will usually mop it up except maybe a foot or two, the guts, and for whatever reason, a patch of the of the hide from the back, and that'll often have like hemorrhaging in it. You'll see where it was bit. Oh, I see. Mm -hmm. yeah. Sometimes, usually they'll eat it, especially if um, there's not a lot of snowshoe hairs around. They may cache it late to save some for later, but usually they're just eating it. When you find a lynx scat in the winter, is it white because the snowshoe hair hair? Yeah, it has white hair in it, but it's not like it's still overall dark. white. Yeah. It's still dark. Yeah. yeah, that meat, the meat makes a really dark scat, Got especially it. the organs. But you'll be on the tufts, you'll see that it's white. Yeah, you can, if you picked it up and looked at it, you'd see it was white hair. The white hair inside mm -hmm. there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Little chunks of bone. Little chunks of bone. Yeah. Little toenails and stuff. Yeah. So uh, explain again where you guys are at on like oh, long-term yeah. viability. You're struggling. The struggle phase. We're in the struggle the, phase. The results kick out struggle yeah. phase. But I would say it's clear that we're we're... We've got a lot of momentum and um, a lot of support from um, agencies, mm -hmm. um, our community. Um, we're partnering with a university on the project. So we've got a master's student on the project. Um, but it's just, it's hard to, to raise money for a nonprofit. And we're not like the normal, this isn't the normal path. Usually um, wildlife research is done by universities or mm -hmm. Um, the agencies, yeah, and so this is there. Are, there are other organizations that do it, but this is somewhat unique. Um, and so we're really lucky in that we are partnering with agencies um, and the universities. But a large part of our money also comes from fundraising, um, and so that's that's kind of a whole new. Who, who's using the, all the data you're collecting? Are you turning it over to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife oh, Service? That's, or? Yeah, so that's a huge part of our, our mission is to be doing research that is um, addressing what we see as really urgent conservation issues in our area. Um, and so this whole project is geared towards having results that can inform land management and lynx conservation. Because for lynx... A large part of lynx conservation is habitat conservation. But can home range wildlife exist as just a lynx research org, or at some point you're going to have to jump into something else? Um, I could, I would love to make this a really long term project because there's a lot of value in those long term data sh data sets, mm -hmm. and that's also another one of part another part of our values is to be an organization that is um, 
really boots on the ground and and have our research in biology be really based in the the naturalist skills that we have. This is not universally true, but there's a trend towards a lot more um, modeling and this sort of, oh, yeah. you know, office-based research, which is really valuable, but it can't be at the expense of people who are out there on the landscape and who are good naturalists and who are there long-term. Well, the mo- but with, without your work, the, model- the modelers don't have anything to do. I mean, your work is what's going to tell them is the home range of a female. It complements, right. Yeah. It complements. But there's like also... Got, they, an, like, they have to have something to plug in. They have to have something to plug in, but there's a lot out there they can plug, plug in. And there's a lot out there, like right now, like I was saying, this is kind of this whole new habitat, par- habitat paradigm with all the burns. And so it is so important that we're not only building models based on what we think we already know, but we're going back to the drawing board and learning from the landscape and the links. And again, long term, that's that's a I think something that's also being somewhat lost in wildlife is there's so much turnover and people are hopping around. That sort of um through line for an area where you've got bios that have been there for decades and have seen changes and been noting things, we're losing that somewhat. Mm. And we do not want to see that happen in the Met Hell. We're sort of the generation of biologists that have been there for decades and know that landscape intimately and have seen it change and are just good naturalists that like to be out there. And um, they're the ones that are going to notice, I'm not hearing as many XYZ bird or, you know, we're not, they're they're just noticing those changes. And that takes being out there and being there long term. And so that's what we want home range to be because we're, we're losing some of these these long-term bios, they're retiring. Yeah. And so we want to make sure that there's somebody always watching there in the value. You know what I could use some help with? I was telling you my gripe before we started recording. They have everything south of us, they have as this lynx recovery area, okay? And there's all these separate trapping regulations in the lynx recovery area. Mm-hmm. Now, I've had fur bear biologists tell me that most of the stuff in the lynx recovery area has never had a lynx and mm-hmm. never will have a lynx. Mm-hmm. It's completely wrong habitat. I have Are a you friend... talking about like Yellowstone, that that area? That well, no, it's every, everything around that. It's huge. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, more it's than everything just everything south of town. Okay, everything. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine in the Forest Service who's doing a lot of lynx work. He even said, you know, our understanding of what lynx habitat is has gotten very refined since that went into effect. He pictures sometimes down the road that could be eased up because it's just not representative of lynx habitat. Mm -hmm. He said if they go to do that, that'll get the hell litigated out of it. Mm. When they come out and say, you know what, we were wrong. This is lynx habitat. That's not lynx habitat. It'll get litigated Mm -hmm. because people will want to keep like restrictions in place. Mm -hmm. The the debate will get weaponized. Mm -hmm. Um, I would love if you guys came in, collared a couple links so people could see where they hang out and where mm-hmm. they don't. Because mm-hmm. they're not down in the juniper and rock piles. Yeah. You agree or don't? I mean, let me explain that with a little more nuance. So links. Well, can I give you one more tidbit? Let's get it. I have a friend who's a lion hunter. He's mm-hmm. been hunting lions here 20 years. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hunts all over the state. In 20 years, he's yet to cut a lynx track mm-hmm. in this area. Yeah. Now. Lest you think he doesn't think there's any links. When he goes to region one, he sees more links tracks 
than bobcats and mountain lions combined. Mm -hmm. So this is not a guy that doesn't say there's no lynx tracks. He's mm -hmm. like, the lynx recovery area ain't got lynx. Yeah. So so I was talking earlier that there's there's five populations. There's six um, areas that have been designated as by Fish and Wildlife Service as critical habitat. Mm -hmm. And that one is not, there's not a known population there now. There have been intermittent sightings, you know, there's not a known breeding population there. It's possible that in the future there could be. There's, it's possible. The other thing is that um, wild lynx are fairly specialized in their habitat, meaning boreal forest. They move so much that they'll, they'll use just about anything to move through. Mm -hmm. um, so, I, I mean, I'm not a land manager down there. I don't know the area and all that, so I can't say too much about it. But, but I could say this. I could say, hey, you shouldn't be able to set certain kind of traps because little children generally aren't lost. Mm -hmm. But a little child could get lost anywhere. Mm -hmm. And you shouldn't have that set because how can we say that a little child wouldn't get lost right. and get caught in that set? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe. Sure. I've heard of little children getting lost. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You'll have to take it up with Fish and Wildlife. I, That's No, I'm taking it up with you because you got to go collar some links. And even though there aren't any there, maybe right. you cut one loose <laughs> and see what it does. <laughs> right? I'll try trapping anyway. Thank you. So. That's all. Okay. Good. <laughs> this is. I have a huge list of gripes that I'd like to get addressed. <laughs> this is like low. You know, my first one is universal hunter's orange policy just a hat okay somewhere below that like is that. this links recovery unit issue <laughs> but someday i'm gonna get to all this all right I'm well i'm gonna take it fish up fish and wildlife should look for your letter <laughs> <laughs> dear fish and wildlife service <laughs> i have a problem i think i know where that letter's gonna wind up <laughs> they're like where, where's the recycling bin <laughs> no uh, i how do I, people find you and support your organization i love i love what you guys do i mean you know it's like and it really resonates with listeners who love it that people are out on the land, finding out, studying wildlife, right? Everybody's got their like myths about stuff and mm -hmm. what lives where and what don't live where. And to mm -hmm. have someone come and say, here's what lives there. Here's mm -hmm. how many. Here's what they do. It's valuable. Yeah. I mean, it's information, right? Yeah. Like real and information. Exactly. And it's, well, yeah. So the 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 work that we do is is research. And so that I think sometimes is hard for the broader public to connect with because it doesn't feel like I'm directly, this organization is directly helping that animal. Mm -hmm. We're doing the research. Yeah. That's one step, but a really important step in knowing how to manage and conserve species. And that's slightly more abstract. But I feel like in my ex short experience running a nonprofit, that and and after last year's experience with um, doing the Trap a Cat fundraiser with you, I feel like I just have so much um, gratitude for the hunting and fishing community because I feel like you guys get it, and that that fundraiser was such a success because um, people really put out and um, saved us. You guys really saved us last year from having just our old ass sleds just completely die. And that would just shut us down. That's such crux mm -hmm. uh, equipment. And so the fact that um, this audience just gets that research and learning about wildlife populations and managing the populations is really valuable 
not just saving an individual animal um, is I, I, that just gives me a lot of hope that there's there's this audience that really understands that. Can I tell you something? My brother, who's a he's a fisheries researcher in Alaska, told me he was one time describing to me the difference between Alaska and the Lower Forty Eight. As he said, in the Lower Forty Eight, you're kind of you're in conservation mm -hmm. phase, mm -hmm. preservation phase, right? He said one of the things that makes being a researcher in Alaska different is we're still in. Um, how to, discovery phase mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Like where, where are salmon? You know, you know, like where are salmon? How many yeah. salmon are there? Yeah. You know, what are these things doing? Yeah. And what's cool is you're in a case of, uh, you're facilitating discovery, mm -hmm. right? It's like, there's this thing, there's this cat that lives here. How many? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Where do they live? I don't know. How do they use the landscape? I don't know. It's like mm -hmm. discovery science. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's not sort of, you know, it's, it's not, specifically like saving something it's just mm -hmm. trying to like understand our world mm -hmm. you know but i would i mean i would say especially in this case it is how do we save this species yeah it leads to that yeah it leads to that uh, granted i'm not trying to belittle it but i'm saying it's like you're discovering things about yeah. right yeah. you're discovering yeah. about how animals relate to their environment yeah that's true it is it's this yeah things have changed out there in the last 20 yeah. years and so we're trying to catch up and learn that as yeah. far as saving them goes if you had to make a prediction like state of the links in the lower 48 and whatever like 20 years or 50 years like what what would you be comfortable saying like they needed to burn more stuff in 2006 like are they gonna <laughs> are they doing well is it bad it, news is it good news it or? all depends on what we do yeah if we do nothing it's not looking great especially for washington really? it is not looking great yeah, because of these, I mean, these just sweeping fires are just, the, the worry is that they burn enough in a short enough time frame, then that's, that's, that's skewing the landscape towards that recently burned, there's not much of that structure that we need type of, of landscape. Whereas if we can just have patches that burn here, patches that burn here, then you've always got some of something out there mm -hmm. and, and you've got enough of that, um, that structure, that forest structure that links and hares need that you're supporting the population, but you've got enough burning going on that you are reinstilling some resilience onto that landscape. Cause all those, those little burns are acting like little speed bumps for subsequent fires. And so if we can figure out ways to if, if we understand how lynx use burned habitat then we know how much of that they need and and how much we can spare for reinstilling that resilience to fire because or but yeah because it's it feels like opposing objectives when you talk about conserving lynx habitat because they need that thick forest that's a lot of fuels and so when you're trying to trying to save lynx habitat short term while simultaneously slow fires just for the ecology of the area to bring that 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 fire resiliency back and to save lynx habitat over the long term it feels like you're in a rock and a hard place but if we can find that sweet spot where we've got enough habitat for lynx now and we've got enough fire break and and um, resiliency out there to save it long term well then that's going to be progress for lynx yeah uh Back to how people can find out information and, and be supportive. I yeah. Know I know we got the trap cat thing. Oh, hell yeah. 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 Well, so if you want to find out more just about home range in general, and like I said, we've got we've got this research, but we also um, 
want to help address the issue in wildlife research where young, you know, new biologists are sort of um, a lot of the culture of this field is that you just sort of get thrown out there and you're having to learn on the job. And that does a couple things. It's often not safe. It's often costing a project equipment because you're out there snowmobiling and trying to keep up with with the rest of the crew and you've never done it and you're just more likely to wreck, things like that. So that's safety and equipment. And it means if you're trying to learn just how to do the basic skills, then you're you're not maximizing how much data you're getting and it's not going to be as quality. So we're trying to offer or we are offering field skills courses. Um, and so those are offered in the summer and they're they're really cool. Um, they're mammals focused right now, but for example, you can sign up for a course where you're doing everything from how to set cameras to um, mammal or any animal track and sign. That's such an important skill, just being able to read animal sign and the tracks um, and knowing your scat, things like send, that. We should send dirt to that. <laughs> oh, it's... Yeah. Yeah, I, I can, love Can you tracking. teach one of our guys a visual identification? Of tracks? No, just, no any, just animals. Animals. <laughs> We're starting there. Okay, that's doable. <laughs> um, and then that, that session culminates with um, we get roadkill deer and we mock up mortality sites from different predators. Oh, and is that so, right? Because okay, yeah. a, a lot of mammals, there's a lot of work and research that involves being able to go to a, a mortality site or kill site and know what happened, who killed it, all that sort of stuff. Do you guys so do snowmobile recovery and stuff like that too? We've done a, a winter skills course that had snowmobiling, trailering, avalanche awareness, that sort of thing. Oh, really? Um, and then we're doing a, um, a, a trapping course coupled with a chemical immobilization. So all that drug oh, no stuff kidding. that we were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Small, so, cl small classes, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. About, you know, 10 to 20 people. So those those are a way that people can learn those skills before they're on the job. And Have you had those. agencies send out students ever? Uh -huh, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, we've had everything from... You guys probably got a lot to teach when it comes to the wintertime, mm -hmm. like wintertime trapping, wintertime snowmobiling, mm -hmm. wintertime survival. Yeah. It's just, it's like an arena of consequence in the mountains in yep, the winter. It, it really is. Yeah. 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 Stuff can go bad. Oh, yeah. Quick. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Real quick. Um, so anyway, so there's that sort of education part. And then we've also got our, our um, community science angle, which is sort of built around the the knowledge that we can do all this research. But if we're not communicating it to the public, especially the communities that are going to be impacted by any possible management outcomes, if people don't understand and support it, then that's going to really... Um, decrease what you can do out there as far as management and conservation. So we want people to understand what we're doing and um, to sort of help facilitate that. We've got a, like a bear coexistence program and some research going on that community scientists are helping with. Mm -hmm. So we've got kind of those three different prongs. All that is to say, if you want to learn more about that, you can go to um, homerange.org. All right. And we have an Instagram, which is homerangewildlife. Dot, or is there a dot? I don't know. I don't know. Home range wildlife, you'll find it. Yeah. And then are you, what, tell, explain uh, for the last thing, explain Traffic Cat and what's okay. happened with Traffic yeah. Cat. Yeah, so I, I looted it because I'm, it was, it saved our asses last year. Okay. And I am so grateful that this community gets it. So we've got um, a fundraiser and we're doing it again, A, because it's super fun and B, because we find ourselves again with some desperate needs. Um, People who hunt and fish know how important equipment is and how fast it can break down when you're using it 
hard and we use our equipment really hard. Just as an example, we because of Trapicap, bought two new snowmobiles last year. That meant we weren't riding 20-year-old held together with baling twine uh, and, and duct tape snowmobiles, and we were using two new snowmobiles. And that just, that is, that is everything, being able to get out there in the winter. We had those for one month, and they each have um, 2,000 miles on them. So they're, they're getting a lot of use. So we're we're thinking ahead about just our fleet management and that this this year alone, those sleds are going to get another 6,000 miles on them. Hmm. Um, but we've also expanded our crew. And so some of our crew is back to using the old sleds. And I'm <laughs> just sort of crossing my fingers every day yeah. that um, nothing happens there. And so we desperately need a new sled so that that it's the back tracking crew that, that we've got a separate crew that's in charge of the tracking so that they're not 50 miles out and having a, a snowmobile issue. Not only is, would that be a bad day, but um, then that, that part of the study just kind of shuts down. Yep. Um, that's how important these are. We also find ourselves happily in need of more callers. So, so last year going into this, we thought maybe we'll catch one links this season maybe we'll catch two well now we've deployed all four of those callers and we know that there are more links that we had hoped living in our study area and so we need more callers because more callers more information it just makes the study that much more confident in what we can say we just we every one of these callers we learned so freaking much from so we need to get more callers um our trailer is a sad story. That thing's falling apart. I mean, it's just it's just this basic equipment that allows us to do what we can do and gets us the information that we need um, that we find ourselves needing to fundraise again. And so we're we're redoing Trapicat. Mm-hmm. The um, the game here is that over the next three months of our trapping season, so we'll be trapping um, starting. Well, today they're out there checking our first bait. Um, through March, um, we'll be trapping. We're, we're, if you, let's see, for every $100 that you donate to Trap-A-Cat, you get a, a trap set in your name, and we'll keep track of all that. You get that trap set, and then throughout our season, you'll be getting, like, behind-the-scenes content. And so every week we'll be sending out videos and stuff of just what it's like on the trap line, um, any cool camera footage that we get, stuff like that. And that's super fun. Then if your set catches the links, you win. Um, Fame and glory. We're going to have $250 first light gift certificate. And Stephen Ranella will announce winners on his social media. We'll announce it. That's where you'll get your fame. Um, and so it's, it's pretty cool. Oh, and I'll send you a video. It'll be like, what's that service that they have where you send videos, you buy them? Cameo. Cameo. Yeah. You know yeah. that dude that got, uh, what's his name from New York? The yeah. Congressman. Santos. Yeah. Santos got voted out and the next day he turns up on Cameo. It's, it's a good, it's is a that, good grift that, if you can yeah. get it. I'll do it. I'm not on Cameo, but I'll, I'll send them a video. I'll be like, Hey, thanks. Something like that. that. Okay. There yeah. you go, folks. Yeah. How cool video. is that? Seth will record it. Perfect. The other cool thing we've got um, this year, we've got little um, ink pads that we can make a, a paw print from the from the. Cat. Oh, really? Yeah. That you so catch? Little, yeah. Dude, yep. That's great, man. Cool. Which is mostly just going to look like a 
fuzzy mitten. But Spencer can get that tattooed on him then. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah. he's, like, he's like looking for something to get tattooed. Yeah, on get a Lynx paw print. Yeah. Um, yeah, so winning's fun. It makes a really cool gift. We had a lot of people getting it for their kids, um, and it just it it means so much for our project. And um, it's yeah, we we rely heavily on on this fundraiser, and so um, yeah, we just appreciate. Everybody so that people that want to get involved in Trap a Cat, go where? Same, so, home range? Yep, go to homerange.org, and there's a banner up on the top of the website. You just click that, and it'll give you a little more information, and you can donate there, and you'll get put into the Trap Cat system and start getting videos and, and stuff like that. Excellent. Yeah, it's right. pretty fun. All right. This is the fifth time you've been on? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Better have some adventures for the sixth time when you come oh, back. Oh, yeah. Okay. When you come back next year. Yeah, let's do it. And then we'll start talking about my little problem south of here, <laughs> which might not be a problem. If you go and find that there's all that, you know, it's all habitat, I'll be like, cool, I understand. I'm all for it. But if it winds up being that it was a little willy nilly, a little reflexive, then that, then, then that's an annoyance to me. And in the meantime, I, we'll work on that letter. <laughs> maybe I think willy nilly is probably not it. Maybe, um, over ambitious, over or or just overly more cautious than you would do. Not sure. Yeah, I like that. N- not willy nilly though. They're, you don't you don't like? I don't think they're willy nilly. Okay. No. I appreciate it. I appreciate the sentiment. Yeah. Um, you are. Uh, you love them links. Um. Yeah, I, I mean, I I, I do. do. I, I do. do. I I just um. Sometimes, for. You know, uh, uh, for women in wildlife, the stereotype is, oh, they they love wolves. They're obsessed with wolves or they love lynx. And, you know, is that a stereotype? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, like that you're not able to look at it with like a cold meanness. Um, <laughs> I guess a little bit. Not yeah. not that anybody wants to be looking at them with a cold meanness, meanness. But I think for women, sometimes that is seen as the um, inspiration behind it. Like they're it. your little pets. Yeah, I've had it. Yeah. I've sort of experienced that myself where somebody, they hear, oh, you're working with wolves. Oh, you love, like, mm-hmm. you know, they're picturing you as a little girl drawing wolves on your binder at school and stuff. I would say hmm. that. Lynx are a cool animal. It's also, they're a hard animal to study, and that's intriguing to me. I love the mountains. That's where I have to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the boreal forest ecosystem, and I'm fascinated by the problem of how we can um, conserve them in the face of increasing megafires. And I love wildfire, wildlife ecology. So it's not, it's, yeah, I just like to be clear that it's not just that I love links or something. Well, thank you for coming in. Thanks for having me. Home I range. I really appreciate it. Wildlife. Mm-hmm. Um, cat program. Yep. Get into it. We're going to do big announcements about who wins the trap cat Mm-hmm. Okay. Will you still do a video if it's my kids? Oh, yeah. Well, I'll probably just tell them. I'll just tell them at <laughs> first. They'll be like, what? Really? Does he only got to send me a video? <laughs> Brooklyn, thanks for coming down. Are you still going to make it back to school or did you get some bag it for the day now? I think I'll make it back. Yeah. What class oh, you got? It. Uh, early grad English. Early what? Early grad English. What's that mean? It's like my other English class because I'm graduating early. Why so are you graduating early? 
Because I don't like school. <laughs> oh, <laughs> they're letting you, they're cutting you loose early. How early? I get out in five days. For good? Yep. Really? Whoa. That's Congratulations. Sweet. Fantastic. Oh, that's cool. Then you go right into taxidermy. Full time. Yep. So you yeah. need these skulls. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you should have put that into your pitch. Oh, okay. That's cool. Yeah. So you're going to enter the workforce. Yep. Huh? Congratulations. Good. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks for coming down. Yeah, thank you for having me. 406 Boneworks. Yep. All right. Thanks. Good Thank luck. You. Keep us posted on what's going on. Will do. I got another skull hanging in a cherry tree in my yard. Okay. You know, you'll see it by the front door if you get by there. <laughs> okay. It needs a good cleaning. I skinned it, unfortunately. It's okay. It'll look good. Because I'm not. It sound you, like here's a question discount. before we leave. Will you do any skull like coyotes, beavers? Yeah. Pine martens. Lynx. Yeah. Lynx. I'm joking. I, I want, when Carmen was on before, I was talking about how bad I wanted a Lynx skull, and someone from Canada sent me a Lynx skull. I'm trying to give it to Carmen. Yeah. For her collection. Cool. Cool. Um, to, I don't want to, uh, it would take a very trained, astute observer to tell that from a Bobcat skull. Yeah. Yep. Like you could just say it's whatever. Yeah. Uh, I sent, <laughs> my buddy has, a, he's a science teacher in Michigan. I sent him a huge box of skulls, and um, he had his kids do the, what do you call it? You know, like the there's a the ID. Yeah, but there's like a thing. You a thing? Uh, what's the term, man? You key it or something. Oh yeah, like the, using a key to to figure out which skull was which. Yeah, and then we did where the the ones that got it right got a prize. They were fun. Oh, they were phenomenal. He had like twenty some students and like I don't know yeah. I can't remember what it was. Tons of them got it right. Nice. Like a whole box of skulls mm -hmm. by using the key. Like I would just look and be like, I don't know. It looks like a. <laughs> Well, if it's a good key, it'll walk you through it. <laughs> yeah, no, I was impressed, man. Yeah. I'm gonna, so I'm going to keep supplying little skulls over to his students so they can check them out. Cool. All right. So you'll do any kind of skull? Yep. All right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you very much for coming down. Yeah, thank you. Good luck with your business. I'm going to keep sending you business. Okay. I'm not using Brody's services anymore. <laughs> Nothing, not <laughs> hacking on Brody. I just want to support, I want to support no, the business I, over here. I might start sending her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think you should raise your prices just a little bit also. Yeah. Sounds like mm -hmm. it. But I don't know. I, I like that. I like that price right Me there. Too. 125. Well, now, how do you, how do you, how do you invoice? Are you going to send uh you know what you could do that's really convenient? I had someone, I uh, bought something the other day from someone that sends you a, a, like a little scan code and then that scan code pulls up Venmo. Have you tried something like that? No, but I use Venmo. You, you need to get this. Whatever the hell he's got, I don't know what it is. It made it so easy. Okay. Hmm. I think I she's waiting it. for her business manager to set yeah. that oh. up for her. Yeah, it was just like, bam, I don't have Venmo, but I grabbed my wife's phone and opened that code up and was able to just hit a couple things and payment over. Um, super easy, super convenient. I don't know what it is, but trust me, there's a thing out there that makes payment a breeze. Okay. It's probably Venmo. Venmo. No, it is. I don't know. Yeah, it is, but I don't know how they did this it, thing. It was great. <laughs> like I, said, I, don't have, I don't have Venmo. Much to my wife's annoyance, I do not have Venmo. All right. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you soon. It's the story of a man who's a steward of the land. Makes its own gravy, so I'll try to be brief. He's written for Field and Stream and all the other magazines. He cares more about truth than common belief. You might already know this, but he has trickin' noses from eating the meat of an uncooked bear. 
If I'd already know, then you can find him in Bozeman or hunting some mountain somewhere. That's the Ranella, he's a fine fella. Spreading the love like a shaggy man's umbrella. He's not afraid to sing a cappella. Life that reads like an old time novella. He's got some good folks under the meat eater umbrella. He's a fine fella, that Ranella. Pretty good cook, married to a finch that won't seem to moan. Loves his home state, hails from Twin Lake, Michigan, where they picked up Doe's boat. In Alaska on a skiff, or with Doug in the driftless, with his main man, Giannis Boutelis. On a mountain, trying to score in a double with Remy Warren, or old cow saying, Lady Bear, smell us. Shaggy Mane's the mellow He's not afraid to sing a cappella His life it reads like an old time novella He's got some good folks under the meteor umbrella He's a fine fellow that Stop fast. Hell, that's half the content of the meat eater podcast. Glassing from a knob, trying to clear out his head. Knowing from the meat tree he could have been dead. But that's a story for another day. That's Stephen Miller, he's a fine fella. Spreading the love like a shaggy man's the mellow. He's not afraid to sing a cappella. Life, it reads like an old time novella He's got some good folks under the meteor umbrella He's a fine fellow that vanilla He's a fine fellow that vanilla Doom, 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 doom Hey, I'm excited to share our newest sponsor here on the Meat Eater Podcast, which is Poncho Outdoors. The reason I'm excited is I buy their shirts anyways. Dude, they make some good shirts. And they even have an option where if you're like a skinny dude, you can click like the skinny dude thing. It's great. Based in Austin, Texas, Poncho is committed to crafting the world's best outdoor shirts for men. Poncho is only sold on their own website. So head over to ponchooutdoors.com, use code MEATEATER for a free hat or t-shirt with any purchase of a shirt. Poncho offers free shipping and returns, so you can try them out risk-free. This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. It is a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that they need and that meets them where they are and helps them get through challenges. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible. It's simple to use. You can connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. 
That's better, H-E-L-P.com.